This is Up for Debate presents Shaken, Not Stirred, Six Decades of James Bond in Film. Tonight, episode number 145, recorded May 2nd, 2019. Chapter 6, Pierce Brosnan in Golden Never Dies Enough, Another Day. When the world is the target. 72 hours ago, a secret weapon system was detonated over seven Naya. And the threat is real. GoldenEye exists. A radiation surge that destroys everything with an electronic circuit. You can still depend on one man. I want you to find GoldenEye. Three. Find who took it. Two. And stop it. One. The name's Bond. James Bond. The world's most famous secret agent is back. We aim to please. And this time, 007 is facing the ultimate enemy. The man who knows him best. Hello, James. What an unpleasant surprise. 006. What's the matter? No pithy comeback? Yesterday is a memory. Today is history. Tomorrow is in the hands of one man. Bond. You know the rest. Tomorrow never dies. Now shooting around the world. Some men want to rule the world. Some women ask for the world. Some believe the world is theirs for the taking. But for one man, the world is not enough. When danger becomes a temptation, when every move brings you closer to the edge, when you live each day like it's your last. There's a surprise around every curve. Pierce Brosnan. Die another day. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this continuing episode of Up for Debate Presents. I am Sean Jennings, joined, as always, by 008 himself, Matt Mariani. 008? Does that Why mean you're better or worse than 007? How does, is it, because it's like the DEFCONs, where it's like, I never remember if a high number is good or bad. I mean, I would say, I think the higher numbers are, are better. The only reason I'm saying that is 006, I don't think was as good an agent as 007. We we introduced Jubblos, but then again, then again, Sean, you have 009, who was the the clown from yes Octopussy, who, who clearly dies sucked in the opening scene, who was yeah, it was an idiot. So maybe maybe it is the lower number. Are they just given out sequentially? So it's not that you're better or worse; you just came later. 
Yeah, I, I think that's it. So 001, I guess, was the – or no, maybe maybe 00. 00 was the very first. I feel like we should know this by now considering how many of these damn movies we've watched. Yeah, if we were better at our jobs, <laughs> we would know these things. Oh, man, I can't believe we're almost through this long nightmare. Yeah, it seems like just uh, an episode or two ago – where you were like, we have so many of these movies left, but we're—I mean—we're petering toward the uh, toward the end here. All of a sudden, oh, slowly but surely, we're getting there. I mean, what's insane to me when I look at this run we've been going on is that since in the last month, it's literally been a little over a month, maybe a month and a half, we've watched twenty movies, twenty-one <laughs> movies. <laughs> I, I stopped thinking of the, these these as movies. I don't know why. Like, I guess it just became part of my routine. It just became like work. It's like, well, I, it's time to do my my job and 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 watch another another Bond movie. But I didn't think of them as like new movies because I've seen them before. So it was more like homework, I guess. But it feels like homework. one long TV series with really long episodes. Yes, that's that is accurate. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and Matt, we've got four excellent films we're going to be discussing this evening. Uh, if you haven't listened to any of the previous episodes, I don't know why you're here, but you should definitely go back, check out our previous five chapters. But tonight we are talking Pierce Brosnan. Yes, everyone's favorite Bond of the 90s and his four films, GoldenEye, Tomorrow Never Dies, The World Is Not Enough, and Die Another Day. Matt, quite an era for Bond. Yeah, this was a different era. This was uh, the first Bond that came post-Cold War. Matter of fact, there was a lot of controversy, which I didn't know about. I, I had to When I went back and did some research, I found out that there was a lot of controversy going on as to whether or not Bond should be brought back yeah. after the Cold War. I guess they, they felt like he was kind of a, uh, a relic of the Cold War and, and that he, could, he, should, he should basically just stay in that era. And, you know, since the Soviets were gone and, and the Soviet Union had crumbled, uh, they didn't they didn't really think Bond had a place in this kind of modern uh, era. What, what do you what are your thoughts on that, Sean? Well, it's interesting. I mean, they said the same thing coming out of the 60s uh, with Sean Connery and they and when George Lassenby took over the role for his film, uh, the thought was Bond wouldn't survive into the 70s. He was a relic of. Of the 60s, I think every time they've changed Bonds, they've after Pierce Brosnan, when they looked at Daniel Craig, they said a similar thing. You know, who can who can keep this franchise going? Does it still make sense? And I think that's what we're learning about the Bond films as we go through this series is that the Bond films have to change with the times. You know, the the Timothy Dalton films of the 80s are different than the Roger Moore films of the 70s are different than the Sean Connery of the 60s. I mean, the the Fran we'll talk about Daniel Craig next week. I mean, those are really different movies. Um, and so I think that's what's interesting about the Bond franchise is you're right. I don't think as it was in the 70s and 80s, it could have survived into the 90s. That's why these movies had to change. Yeah, it is interesting that you bring up the the bond of the '70s changing. It was it was kind of the the hippie era, the uh, make make love not war L era, live and let die era, the live and let die era. You know the uh, the the spy who loved me era. It, it um it uh yeah it it totally called into question like the nature of Bond and and who he was as a character. Uh, and, you know, was he was he really necessary? But for the first time with this new Bond coming in, the Pierce Brosnan's uh, debut in 1995, 
this is, I mean, this is the longest hiatus that Bond had ever had to that point. Eight years. Uh, it had been eight years since License to Kill, the yeah. previous Bond film. So, long gap. Um, yeah, long, really long gap. I, I think that people were starting to maybe forget about Bond. Uh, and they were kind of treat. They were already treating him as a vestige of the past, and and uh, not really. I don't think they really thought that it was even on the spectrum until it was announced that that there would be another Bond film. Um, how did Goldeneye do in the box office? Was it a uh, relative success or? Uh, it was absolutely. It was a, a big success. Three hundred fifty-five million um, at the box office. Um, considerably, considerably better than uh, Timothy Dalton's films. It almost did twice what his films did. Yeah, because li- License to Kill and and uh, especially was I think that was the lowest grossing film, which was a shame. Really well, a shame because that was a really it was a very good Bond movie. But and, and we talked about that last week too. It opened up against really tough competition, and yeah, you know, the box office really started to explode late eighties or into the nineties. Um, and accounted for for some record breaking grosses, especially by the time we get to Die Another Day, um, which, which uh, set quite a record as well. So, yeah, it's um, it's interesting. You mentioned Goldeneye, our first film of this evening, uh, on a budget of sixty million. This nineteen ninety five film introduces Pierce Brosnan as the titular James Bond. I guess it's not really titular because his name's not in the title, but you get the idea. Um, a lot of interesting facts about Goldeneye. Um, There's a uh, a species of duck called Goldeneye. Whoa, really? Yes, is I it don't... named after the named after the film or? Well, that's I was just about to say. I actually don't know the answer. Um, uh, I know it literally has a golden eye. The duck. Well, there you go. I'll put yeah, a, I, a, a I picture would here up there'd be on a screen. Fish called a golden eye. That does that sound like a type of fish? Like oh, I hooked a golden eye. Like, oh, totally. But that sounds like a lot of animals, too, because it could be like a lizard could be a golden eye or a golden eyed lizard. Yeah. A dinosaur. Well, Sean, I mean, viewers of the show, listeners of the show would would uh, would be able to guess uh, where the origin of the name of this film comes from. Of course. Uh, if you've been paying close enough attention, if you've been playing along at home, uh, this comes from Ian Fleming's estate, the name of his estate in Jamaica. The GoldenEye Estate. So this is the very first Bond movie that is written without any source material from Ian Fleming. This is a totally original Bond, 100% um, written, manufactured by by other writers, other contributors. Um, although it does borrow heavily from previous Bond themes, like the um, uh, Diamonds Are Forever, having the giant laser that shoots from space uh the many different uh like disgruntled soviet generals yep coming in like uh you saw in um i think starting with from russia with love but also continuing with uh um i want to say the spy who loved me had one or maybe it was for your eyes only i think it was for your eyes only it was for post moonraker right yes and and moonraker um Several Bond movies had that, you know, Soviet Union, ro- the rogue Soviet general who's oh, sure. trying to just stir shit up, basically. Um, first impressions, Sean, of this of this movie. What were your fir- first some, some first impressions of Goldeneye when you first saw it? You first saw that scene, uh, you know, Brosnan sneaking around. The you, he, first of all, 
he does that pretty awesome swan dive. Oh, that's a great off opening the, uh, stunt. Off the dam, iconic, absolutely iconic Bond moment. Which, by the way, it is a. Um, I'm trying to look up the exact height of the jump, but it is a rec- a 220 meter bungee jump. Uh, it was voted the best movie stunt of all time in some poll. It set the record for highest bungee jump off a fixed structure. Wow. And it was real. Some do. I mean, it wasn't Pierce. It was performed by Wayne Michaels. Um, but it was quite honestly, the, uh, quite an impressive stunt. Mm. Um, I think, I think the opening is really good, uh, where he has to break into the facility and, and stuff explodes really good. Um, and we get introduced to Sean Bean's character. The, right. The Alec, great Sean yeah. Bean, Alec Trevelyan. Alec Trevelyan. 006. 006, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I thought I thought he played it he played an excellent um counterpart to Bond. So this is where spoilers kick in, I guess. Uh Trevelyan ends up betraying Bond. Now, halfway through the film and uh I have I have a couple of I have a couple of gripes with that, um, but you look like you have a question. What was what, was it as obvious for everyone as it was for me that he was going to come back and be <laughs> the bad guy? Um, it's hard to say, Sean. I really can't tell you because when I saw this movie, I was like ten or eleven, maybe. Fair enough. So I, 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 I don't really know if I fully appreciated the big reveal in Saint Petersburg, well, Statue Park. What's crazy to me is is I'm just trying to think. I think three out of the four movies this evening has some sort of big reveal. Yes. And that was something that I noticed. Yeah. I went back and I love watching it. And the, the audio clip that played at the beginning of the audio version of this show, the clips from the trailers, I like to play at the beginning of these. All three trailers of those movies spoil the twist. Oh, no. Really? All three of them show Sean Bean <laughs> being the bad guy. It shows uh, Electra King turning on Bond. It shows the uh, the Asian colonel there, Amun. Uh, it shows them all. It blows them in all. Damn. And I'm like, wait a second. Right that's the whole movie. Succession. Yeah. The, I never noticed how big on twist this era of Bond was. Like the Brosnan Bond. There was like every, it's, it was almost like an unwritten rule where... They had to have a twist. Was there a twist in Tomorrow Never Dies? That's what I was trying to think. I that don't might, think, I think so. That it's a pretty straightforward one, movie. It was, yeah, it's it's pretty paint by numbers. But I did. I think this one was my favorite twist, for reasons I will explain when we get into the other movies. But um, this one, I was kind of like, this actually makes sense. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't really care for like where they're like, oh, it's really uh, Alex family history. That's why he's doing it. But I just like the idea of like a double O agent fakes his death and he's really behind the whole thing. I was like, okay, that's kind of cool. I, I back that up. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was believable. I, I, I bought it. I think that, um, the only, the only issue I have though here is if he's like, I guess it's not fully clarified if he decided to betray bond in that like five year gap since the dam incident was mm-hmm. it five years or nine years eight years nine years which by the way i made a note here is this the first time a bond movie has used the blank years later gimmick oh i couldn't uh, think I of a I previous so. movie no i really i genuinely think it is the first time jump and then they use it again and die another day when he's kidnapped yes, they do. that's true. right he's he's uh, uh tortured for like four months yeah um I, but so, all right, there, something didn't didn't really sit right with this rewatch here. So if if 006, if Trevelyan mm-hmm. set this up with Oromov 
you know, years before, years prior, back when the damn mission was first going on, I why didn't he just well, why didn't he just kill Bond initially? See, I don't That's think a. option B though. If if the betrayal happened in the interim years, then I guess you can go back to why didn't he just kill Bond in the statue park? But he just did what the Bond villain always does, which right. is like because you Let can't me reveal you literally the plan. You literally can't kill Bond. It's impossible. Yeah, we've proven that. But if, if if he if this whole thing was I mean I, I assume he was in cahoots with Oromov the whole time which is why they faked shooting him with, uh. Uh, in the in the dam situation but but in that case he could have just killed Bond when he first saw him like when they first met and they were in like the dark corridor but it wasn't something like but his evil plan wasn't to or something he my thought on that so this is my theory okay he he was evil before the the dam incident mm-hmm. However, Bond wasn't his target because Bond wasn't interfering with his evil plans. However, when Bond almost got him killed, quote unquote, faked his death, whatever, then he had to turn his attention to Bond because Bond was getting too close. Okay. I think if Bond had never gotten in his business, he would have been secretly 006 evil guy. Yeah. So you think he still still maintained like a like a level of respect for bond like professional respect or I mean, friend, I, friendly I, respect i think so i think okay. i think i think that's why he didn't just straight up shoot him in the in that awesome statue graveyard yeah that could be and you know that's just the bond villain way oh yeah well like i said you literally cannot kill bond it is impossible so he, instead he shoots him with a tranquilizer dart and then puts, puts him, him in, a, in helicopter. a helicopter he can escape in Come on! That was really frustrating. That was really dumb. There are some not very smart uh, moments. But there was something about framing them. Like they were going to use the helicopter incident to frame them for something. And then Britain would be like humiliated. There was a big thing to it. You know, I just thought of this. For the amount of times Bond has been framed or attempted to be framed for a crime, he could probably commit an actual crime and just say he was framed by a yeah. bad guy and get away with it. I mean, clearly, because he's the most famous secret agent, even in his own universe. I mean, they may, they do make a point over and over again of how people know his identity, know who he is and what he looks like. Yep. Even though he's a secret agent. Yeah. More problems, more, more, uh, meta problems, but, um, in general, the, uh, the yeah plot I guess plot holes aside for now, uh, I thought. What do you think of Brosnan as Bond? Ooh, overall, yeah, opinions of of uh, just just initial opinions of of Brosnan as Bond. I weigh him against earlier earlier debuts. Yeah, Brosnan's debut. Brosnan's debut, and it's for. I thought it was good. I thought it was a good debut. I'm trying to think, comparing him to Sean Con- uh, Roger Moore in Live and Let Die. Not great. No, I think we could probably we could probably agree. Will we agree that's the weakest Bond debut? Oh, for Roger sure. Moore? For sure. And I'm not going to count George Lazenby because it was his debut and only movie. So I don't his think that's really fair. debut and finale, yes. But, uh, but yes, I agree. I think that's the weakest. And then I think Dr. No, Sean Connery was very good in. And I thought Living Daylight's Timothy Dalton was good in. So, And Daniel Craig, I have seen Casino Royale. Um, and I think he's pretty good in that so i would say this it's a solid it's a solid entry i think he establishes himself as bond pretty quickly um in in this one but one note i had that was really interesting 
as I was watching this movie was that it feels like Bond has no impact on the plot of this movie. Natalia drives so much of the plot and and Sean Bean drives so much of the plot. And I feel like Bond just keeps showing up at places. <laughs> like he's just walking the audience through everything. Yeah, basically. Like he just shows yeah. up because the script needs him to, not because he's driving the plot. Now, I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing, but what it, for me, created was a pacing problem in the film where there were long stretches where nothing interesting would happen and then a ton of interesting stuff would happen. And it caused the, I thought the rhythm in this one wasn't great. You know, I I mean, Bond is kind of like the muscle in this movie. It, it, he's like kind of bringing Natalia everywhere and like escorting her places. She's and way more interesting in this movie her than he from is. Danger. Yeah. Bond and, is like the she's fourth the one most interesting person happen. in the movie. Yeah. But Natalia has the hacking skills. She's got the computer science skills, the programming skills. Uh, Bond, yeah, is really just the muscle here, keeping her protected and letting her do her job. Basically. Um, much like the much like the video game, much like the very popular, highly acclaimed GoldenEye for for Nintendo sixty four. I was waiting for when that was going to come up. <laughs> well, if you had your money on uh, ten minutes in, you know you won the pool. So, um, uh, I want to talk about Natalia for a second, if we may. Sure, Isabella Skorokopo. Uh, I don't think I said that right. Uh, survives the uh, GoldenEye attack. Uh, and ends up kicking ass and teaming up with James Bond throughout the movie. What did you think of Natalia in this, Matt? Um, I have interesting thoughts about, uh, I, I guess, about about Natalia. It's the, it's the first time since Spy Who Loved Me where Bond pairs up with a quote-unquote Russian girl. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw, actually, matter of fact, I saw a lot of parallels between this movie and and Spy Who Loved Me, I thought, um, in in different ways. Like I guess the relationship between Bond and Russia. Um, I, I thought she was good. I thought Natalia was good. Um, she was a little intense for the role, um, but I thought that was that was kind of refreshing. She was she definitely wasn't like your stereotypical, um, like Bond girl from. Bond girl from Diamonds Are Forever, mm-hmm. where she's like tough at first, but then all of a sudden she's like flim. Like there's no point in the movie where she's like flimsy or, or, um, like 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 ditzy dumb. Or, or dumb. Right? She's very very smart. Oh sure. Very good with computers. I, I think she was a she was a very inspiring choice for uh for Bond. Um. Yeah, I, I thought she was good. I liked her. Uh, she was a little, although I, she was a little white bread. She was a little like kind of boring. Bland, for, yeah, yeah, kind of bland uh, in in a lot of ways. But I think she was solid. She was a solid choice. She had zero chemistry with Pierce Brosnan, though. Like like none. Yeah, and I, I, I think agree. that's the problem with with pretty much. Actually, there's going to be one that that we're going to probably butt heads with, but this is the one that I I I, I don't really think she had a lot of a whole lot of natural chemistry. I, with Pierce. Are you indicating there's someone tonight who we're going to talk about with oh, less chemistry? Be. No, with more. With a lot more. Okay. And we're going to disagree on it. I just know it. All right. But All we'll right. say that later. I'm excited for that. Um, <laughs> no, Natalia, look, I thought, I thought it was a good acting job. I mean, she does spend most of the movie screaming at explosions and running away from explosions. Um, the issue I had 
I'm I'm glad that she got more involved in the plot. The issue I had is the movie, I think, let her character down in that I had no, I could not understand why I, as a viewer of the film, was supposed to care about her. Usually, at the Bond girls, not always, but for the most part, have some reason for you to be like, I want this person to continue to live. I had... I don't know why I'm supposed to care about her in this movie. She's working for the Russians, first of all, so she's technically a bad guy. I get that she didn't know what she was doing and she turns it around, but she was working on the weapon, knew it was a weapon. Um, and I, that that annoyed me, and I agree with you. There definitely was a chemistry issue. I did certainly um, like her better than Xenia Onatop, <laughs> who was... Another hilariously named uh, Bond... Bond villain. Very weird. Very odd. Very upsetting. Um, I, I thought way overplayed. Um, Xenia, more like Xenia over the top. Hey, zing. You got him. Uh, played by Famke Jansen, who played uh, Jean Grey in the X-Men movies. I knew I knew her from somewhere. Um, and the mom in the Taken movies. Oh, okay. Yeah, I see it now. Uh... Yeah, she she was she was out there. She was an out there uh, out there villain. I I actually kind of liked her. I liked her as a as a Bond villain. She was crazy. She was like just like pure chaos. But then, but there was nothing else in them. It was like the it was weird because it wasn't a zany movie. You know, like in a no. Roger Moore movie, I'd be like, okay, I get it. But this movie was like super serious for the most part. I mean, this movie yeah. had, I think, the fewest Pierce Brosnan quips of any of the four. Uh, I, as a matter of fact, the only the only two that come to mind right off the bat. I know when he first meets Xenia, you know, the no more foreplay. Yeah. And then there's also at the very end for England James, no for me. Right when the when he drops Trevelyan down in the yep. cradle. I, do, I just know it's got the fewest because I know Die Another Day, every line is a quip in that movie. When he and Holly Berry are quipping back and forth, it's upsetting. Oh, yeah. We'll I, get there. We'll get there. Um, but, yeah. Yeah. There, I, I can't – yeah. Can't really – well, there, I mean there's the part where he's in the car and Money Penny is there and like – is that Money – is that supposed to be Money Penny or is that just some woman that's evaluating him? I think it's a different woman. It's a different woman? Yes. Yeah. They're driving in the car and doesn't he say something – Carol has like the champagne. I'm sure there's there's some. Oh, it's highly okay. inappropriate. And then they start making out. Oh right, right. <laughs> yes, yes, that's it. Yep. Um, typical Bond. I actually really liked in this movie how a lot of Bonds like bullshit has been circumvented because it's the 90s. Yep. Like the very first thing Money Penny says to him is basically like, "You're gross." stop doing this. Like I'm going to, I'm going to, I think she literally says I will call human resources because I think this is considered harassment. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. It's that great. And we, great. We do have a new money penny in this one. Samantha Bond yes. who sticks around Samantha for all four Bond. movies. Yeah. Samantha who I think Bond is pretty good. Money penny. I think she's all right. Yeah. She's all right. I like that. Her last name is Bond. That's kind of cool. Yeah. I wonder if that helped her or hurt her in getting the role. Yeah. I, th I bet it helped. I bet it helped. I would think. I wrote actually. I wrote in my notes. Bond's world has been updated. Samantha Bond as Money Penny. Judy Dench as yes. M. So we got our introduction of a new M, a female M, by the name of Judy Dench. She gets to say a whole lot of really like neat quips. She might have some of the best quips in in the whole Brosnan stretch. Um, 
I know she says in this one, like you're a you're a dinosaur and you're gross yep. or something like that. Like it's basically like you're a relic. You suck. Yeah. And uh, she also says in Tomorrow Never Dies, probably the best thing that an M has ever said in a Bond franchise, when one of her top uh, top brass says to her, "No, uh, with all due respect, ma'am, I don't think you've ha- you have the balls for this job." And she says, "Well, perhaps that's true, but that means that I don't have to answer to them or something, something yeah. like that." And I, I like that. That that was a that was a pretty neat. Or perhaps, yeah, that's true. But it, but instead, I have my brain to answer to instead of them. Something. She's got some. She's got some good quips in uh in this stretch. It's funny. Yeah. Um. I I think that I think that this is exactly what the Bond franchise needed at the time. Uh, it needed that little updated, and I think it was the first, it was the best time to do that. Eight years uh since the previous one, an eight year dry spell. So, yeah, I mean, honestly, I could go on longer about this movie uh, because there is a lot to talk about in it. We didn't even touch on uh, the stunts, the great set pieces, uh, that tank chase where he's just wrecking up the place, which was really exciting. Yeah. Um, So that part of that was was filmed in a set in a Hollywood set. But part of it was also filmed in St. Petersburg in, Mm -hmm. in Russia. It was the first time ever that Bond filmed segments in Russia, to my knowledge. And uh, the people of St. Petersburg actually, like some of them, rumors were going around they were actually destroying parts of St. Petersburg to film the the movie, which wasn't true. Mm -hmm. These were all sets built out of wood and plaster and stuff. But um, it was enough of a rumor that it definitely caused some some controversy at the time. That was was awesome. I thought when um, the GoldenEye weapon attacks the base in Sevenyaya... Severnaya. Yes, uh, that explodes real good. There are so many explosions in this movie. Yeah, which I am so on board with. The train, the train exploding. Oh yeah, that was awesome. Um, the the all the fighting scenes done at the uh, satellite. Oh, I think, in my opinion, I think that was the best fight scene since from Russia with love. The fight scene, but. Between Bond and Trevelyan on the on the satellite, I would say it's the best hand to hand fight. Certainly, yes, I think it even it even beats from Rush with Love, but I think definitely since then, best hand to hand fight in a Bond scene. And that yep. that Sean Bean death so spectacular. He just falls all the way, splats, doesn't die. Then nope. the satellite falls on top of him and crushes him. Right. Awesome. And, uh, what do we think of uh, what do we think of Boris Boris Grinchkov? Bor- you know. You could put Alan Cummings in anything, and I would be a million percent on board. I think he's great. And I think he's not particularly well used in this movie, but one thing I did note is the pen clicking scene with the exploding pen was very tense. Yes. And I thought I thought it was really well done, because in, in your mind, in the audience, you're counting the clicks, right? The movie doesn't really tell you whether or not it's going to go off. You have to keep track yourself, which I'm like, wait, was that two? Was that three? You're kind of looking at Bond for his reaction. Does he know? That was a really awesome scene. I liked that a lot. That was extremely well done. It reminded me of how the pen scene in Never Say Never Again failed miserably. Mm-hmm. Remember when the, the lady asks him to write a message on the paper? I mean, it does work because she explodes. Right. But I'm, I'm talking about the like what it should have been. Right. Like tense like that. Like, yeah, I think you, everybody knew 
what where they were going with that when she says right you know right on this paper but with the boris scene yeah it was it was tense and it was uh it was it was really good because you're like oh that's how they're gonna use the pen clicking like yeah it was good it was good so uh, uh let's see quickly i want to get to bad guy plan in this one yeah sean bean sean bean steals the golden eye satellite mm-hmm. with his he's gonna hack into the british banks with boris steal all the money then shoot off the golden eye satellite at london completely erase all records so they can't prove he stole the money while at the same time as he puts it he's going to send great britain back to the stone age so this is kind of it reminds me of the plan from a fight club it, yes yes <laughs> that's exactly the except i would say this one's much better yes the fight club one was stupid nobody really realizes how stupid it is because they they give that movie too much credit mm. but uh this one was bet was more thought out than than the the plan from fight club i think it's a good plan I gotta, um, I gotta be honest. In terms of Bond villain plans, this one is like plausible, doable. Yeah, I mean, yeah. As far as long as as long as you have a, a space satellite that can shoot lasers from space. But that's the thing I love about this is is in a in a in a different Bond movie, Sean Bean would have built it from scratch out of nowhere. Like this was an existing weapons program from a government. He just stole it. So I'm like, all right, that's. I'm sure our I'm sure the government has all kinds of crazy weapons we don't know about. So the, um, it's believable he could steal it. And I an EMP say, from space is a plausible idea. Like that's a thing that could actually happen. Yeah. I, I'll go on record in saying that this is the best villain plan of the night. I don't think any of the other Brazen movies have as good a villain I'm plan. I'm gonna challenge you on that. Ooh, but uh World is not enough. Is that the one you were thinking of? No, but I guess that okay. is all right, we'll 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 then we might we might talk later then. Oh, we're definitely going to talk. <laughs> a, cer- a certain media mogul may disagree with you. Oh gosh, we'll okay. circle back. Um, let's see. I've got only a bunch of other small notes. Uh, I do yeah, want to point out. Yeah, I take out- it back. This is the second. This is officially the second, in my opinion, the second best villain plan after World is Not Enough. Spoiler alert. That to me, I thought that was a great villain plan. We'll talk no, about that. Uh- We'll talk but, about it. Yeah, Goldeneye uh, activating the satellite, bringing bringing Britain back to the Stone Age. It's uh, it's an interesting plan. It's 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 original. I think they take the Diamonds Are Forever plan and and kind of update it, um, with the getting the debt and stuff like that. And uh, um, I I could see the villains like attachment to this, and you could realistically see someone like plotting their revenge. Like his family was murdered because the British government basically betrayed them like as Leon's Cossacks. And mm-hmm. so they were murdered by the Nazis because of that. And, uh, he's got a, he had a vendetta against Britain from a young age. So I guess, I guess he really was planning to betray them all along. In which yeah, case getting... I, I go back to the beginning with why didn't they just kill bond in the facility? But yeah, I don't know. Maybe that would have been <laughs> suspicious and tipped his plane. I think it's for, look, all of tonight's movies, including one in particular, very plot holy. Mm. So I'm going to try not to look too much into it, at least until we get to another one. Uh, I do want to mention the theme song, Goldeneye, written by Bono and the Edge, performed by Tina Turner. Um, I thought it was a fine song. Mm, it was a little, I think it was a little boring. 
in terms of Bond songs, it was a great song, but it was, yeah, it was very, very, uh, I don't know. I did like the opening sequence. That wasn't my favorite. Opening sequence was all right. It was all right. Um, Yeah, it, uh. Let's see what else. It was definitely. I I, I like how the these newer Bond movies, the opening sequence usually has to do with a theme throughout the movie instead of just like half naked women dancing. Right. It's like it kind of ties into the plot. Like, world is not enough. You have the women dripping with oil, like they're made of oil, and you have the um. This one you have like allusions to the laser and the fire coming from the, the satellite and well, stuff. And they, they, they're literally hammering the sickles. You oh, know? that's right. Yeah, the, yeah it kind of is symbolizing the fall, like the fall of the Soviet Union with the, the statues crumbling and stuff like that. Yep. I, I li- all right. I like, the, I like the themes of, uh, of this opening sequence, but the song <laughs> itself didn't really, wasn't really my favorite. But uh, uh, Oh, I, yes. one more quick thing about Please. this movie. Um, jo- Joe Don Baker. Yeah! Okay, how yes! about that? He repri- he he um reappears. I I now when, when I watched uh when I watched uh was it the Living Daylights? It was Licensed to Kill. Yeah, I I I felt like he was the same person, but I wasn't a hundred percent sure. And I I had to go in and confirm that yes, this is the same guy. Except this time, he plays an American agent, um, who uh is there to to help on named Jimmy. Jimmy, no, is he Jimmy? Jimmy Spy Man. Uh, Well, first of all, before we get to that, I apologize. It was The Living Daylights. He played uh, Brad Whitaker, the arms dealer in that one. Uh, And he's back as Jack Wade. Jack Wade. And he does my favorite thing. He calls Bond Jimmy. Jimbo. Jimbo. Hey, Jimbo. He's so funny. I love him in this. And his return in in the later films as well. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's much more tolerable than the racist cop from uh, uh, from Live and Let Die. Yeah, he's Much actually better. fun. Yeah. I actually look forward to him, and I don't cringe at all when he's on on, on the screen. So um, we're introduced to Valentin Zukovsky, who gets a uh, reprising role uh, in, in uh, World is Not Enough. Uh, Bond's KGB, former KGB agent friend. I like that. I like that Bond has a KGB agent friend. Yeah. Because, you know... They're both in the same business. They may work for different companies, but, you know, they can talk shop and stuff. Yeah, that's a good actor, too. Yeah. Um, Valentine is not uh, is not so warm and friendly to Bond at first because they have a history of Bond shooting him in the leg and or in the knee. And, and uh, I like that. I, I, I really genuinely like that they have a backstory and a beef in the past, but... That they can respect each other as colleagues now. Now that the Cold War is over. Now that uh, the role of uh, Zukovsky mm-hmm. is played by Robbie Coltrane. Yes, Robbie Do you know Coltrane. what other major character he plays in another major film franchise? I've definitely heard the name before. Now that you mention it, yeah, uh, it's a certain half giant. Oh, is he's Hagrid? He's Hagrid. He Hagrid he's in Hagrid. The Harry Potter movie. Yes, he okay. is. I, that's where he looked familiar. Okay, yeah, I could tell by his face. Yeah, okay. So that's that. He's really he's a good actor. Oh, he's he great. Do all those all those accents. Yeah. Like I said, all these guys are uh, are really awesome. Mm-hmm. Wow, I'm yeah. a big fan. Really, really a lot of yeah, a lot of a lot of famous actors here. Um, 
Okay. We we got to move on, but just a couple quick hits. Uh, I thought the music, the score to this was terrible. Um, It jumped all over the place. It had different tones in different places. It was really inappropriate. I didn't think it was great. Yeah, there, were, um, there was a new composer for this one, it wasn't if I remember good. correctly. And I think this was the only one that he did. And also, the bond, I don't think the Bond theme was utilized enough at all. I, agree. I mean, really, it was it was the only time I remember it being used is the scene with the tank. When the uh, tank comes I out. I like, yeah, they got away from it in this one. New Bond, yeah. new, new new decade. Uh, I was told the film, film was visually dark. I think some of that was because it was set in Russia for so much of it. Um, but it didn't seem as bright as some of the other Bond films. I thought that was just interesting to note. It brightened up at the end. It did. The scenes with Cuba were very, very bright, of course. But yeah, I think you're right about that. It was very visually dark. Uh, And my last note is from the beginning opening scene after he does the dam dive and he breaks into the facility. Uh, What bathroom has giant air vent gates right above the toilet? Mm, Ones in in the Soviet Union. Could you imagine? Ones in top secret facilities. Could you imagine going into a bathroom stall, sitting on a toilet, and you look up and a, there is a giant air vent grate you can look up into right above you. Right, when it's like partially open. I know there are like plot holes and issues with these films, but that in particular very much bothered me. How about that the guy that's on the toilet doesn't hear him? Oh, yeah, he's and he's right just kind of dropped down. You don't he hear he drops the newspaper and he looks being, and there's Bond. Right, he's, uh, but I, he does have a good, there's a good one liner there that we forgot from earlier where he says, sorry, forgot to knock before yes. knocking him out with one hit while he's hanging upside down where he can get no momentum behind his swing. That's pretty impressive. You got to love the, the James Bond single punch knockout that yeah. he does a lot. Right. In these. Uh, movies. Yeah. Just after one hit, the guy, yeah, he's out cold. Uh, very impressive, especially cause I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure Bond was, was still hanging upside down. It was an awesome reveal though. I do like how they did that with, you don't see him, uh, when he bungee jumps, you don't see him when he's running. You don't see him sneaking through the vents, but you do see him when the guy pulls the pushes the newspaper down and he's just hanging right there like Spider-Man. Forgot to knock and then knocks him out. Overall, I thought it was a good movie. I wouldn't say it was great. Yeah. I wouldn't say it was the best, but I thought it was pretty good. So I've seen this movie more than any other Bond film. I mean, I, I, when I was younger, there was a there was a time when I watched this probably on repeat. For like, I, I remember seeing it like a good six or seven times because it went along with the video game. It was great. Uh, I could relate to it. It was the first Bond movie I think I have strong memories of. Watching it again I, I kind of doesn't hold up in a lot of ways. I, I still like it. I still think it was a it was a strong showing. But now that I've seen all of them, I don't know. There are just some areas where I'm not. Uh, I'm not as fond of it as I used to be. I guess part of that is growing up, but, but yeah. Um, I thought I thought it was fine. It was a fine Bond movie. A good mm-hmm. introduction for Pierce Brosnan, and he's going to continue into his next film, 1997's Tomorrow Never Dies. A hundred and ten million dollar budget on this one made three thirty three at the box office. Um, it's the only one of Pierce Brosnan's films to not open at number one because it opened the same day as Titanic. Interestingly oh. enough, wow. Um, it earned a Golden Globe nomination. Uh, and Matt, as you mentioned, GoldenEye was the James Bond film you had seen the most. Coming into this uh, Up for Debate Presents, I had seen only four James Bond movies. One of them was Tomorrow Never Dies, which I owned on DVD years ago. And this is the one I had seen the most. Oh. And I enjoyed it on DVD. And after rewatching, it's been a couple years after rewatching it, I still really like this one. It's not a perfect film. What drives me nuts about this film, and we'll get into the details, 
I think this one is really close to being an excellent James Bond film, and just a few bad decisions led it to be just a pretty good film. I don't know. What do you? What are your? What are your first inclinations on Tomorrow Never Dies? Um, I think I kind of have to disagree, and and this might just be my own bias from uh, from coming in with all the watching Goldeneye as often as I had, but I. I didn't really like this one. I, I, I didn't really like a lot of the directional choices that they went with. I didn't like the villain plot, which I think we're going to disagree on. Oh, yeah. I didn't like the Bond girl. I didn't think that there was any real chemistry there. Although I did I did appreciate that she was, like, for a very rare occasion, she was truly Bond's equal. Like, she had the martial arts. She was a Chinese secret agent. Wei Lin, yeah. Um, Wei Lin, right. But I just didn't – she didn't mesh with Bond. I, I think they, they forced the romance – like it seemed like the romance was just there because oh, Bond sure. has to romance the girl. Strongly and, agree. And like that's it, period. Like if there's a girl and she's helping Bond, he's got to try to get with her no matter what. But I, I didn't think that that really needed to happen because I think Waylon just worked as Bond's equal and that could have been that. Matter of fact, they could have broke new ground by being this the first time where Bond like doesn't try to get in – uh, his co-worker's pants. And, I 100% uh, agree. You know, and, and they could have just went around that. Instead, they tried to force this this romance, this they, this uh, artificial chemistry between them that just wasn't there. Um, did you know, Sean, fun fact, this film was supposed to be called Tomorrow Never Lies? Yeah, I know the story, but that you should a, tell That it. is a true, that is an absolutely true fact. I just I, I I did some reading about it and it was apparently a typo. It was a script typo. It, it was it I was a from. it was a fax error. Fax error, right? So it was supposed to be tomorrow never lies, which was based on the name of the uh, media outlet that is controlled by the main villain of this film, uh, Carver. Yep. Tom Elliot Carver. Car Elliot, Elliot Carver. Elliot Carver. Yes. Played by Jonathan Price. Elliot Carver. He controls the is it's called like the Tomorrow Times or something. Or I the think it's tomorrow? just Tomorrow is the name of the paper. Tomorrow, yeah. So Tomorrow Never Lies is supposed to be the name, you know, implying you know, lying and media and stuff like that. But uh, it was a fax error. Changed it to Tomorrow Never Dies. They just decided to go with that. Uh, I actually like Tomorrow Never Lies better. I kind of wish they had kept that. The, the biggest issue I have is that I would always and still do confuse Tomorrow Never Dies and Die Another Day. You can't have die in both. That's the issue I have. Yeah, I guess it couldn't be Lie Another Day, right? No, Die Another Day is a good one. I, I agree with you. I think uh, Tomorrow Never Lies is a better title. But Tomorrow Never Lies. What are you going to do? Um, although I, I guess that, that kind of becomes a... It becomes an issue because his thing is all about lying. Like, that's what his his the main thing is but uh he could have he probably said it at some point in the movie you know because like he's the basically elliot carver correct me if i'm wrong here he's he's pretty much steve jobs if steve jobs were a cartoon villain who controls a media outlet yeah i think the best comparison for elliot carver is probably rupert murdoch okay that's Probably the closest. Um, you could also do uh, who was the uh, who was the famous newspaper publisher way back? Oh, Spanish um, American War. Pulitzer, Pulitzer, and uh, he fought with 
the uh, other Hearst, guy. Hearst, yes. William Randolph Hearst. Yeah. Thank you. Those guys, obviously, William is Randolph kind of Hearst. Yeah, yellow, yellow journalism, journalism and all that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they already made a movie about that, Sean. It was called Newsies. Rosebud. Oh. No, it was called Citizen Kane. It was Kane. called Newsies. <laughs> and Newsies. Can we watch Newsies for the show? I like Newsies. Uh, maybe. Maybe that could be your award for, great... for getting through all this. <laughs> we can watch, we watch Newsies and the producers. Can't believe how many of these we've done. Um, <laughs> now, I will say, Matt, there's mm-hmm. a lot to talk about in this movie. Uh, but I have to point out one of my things I hated the most about this movie. Okay. Terry Hatcher. As Paris Carver. I think that has to, for my money, in the entirety of the James Bond franchise, the worst casting. I don't have a problem with Terry Hatcher in general. I think she is so bad for this role, it shocks me. You talk about Bond not having chemistry with a character. They have absolutely no chemistry in this movie. It's kind of upsetting. Yeah, you're right. And I she think grinds the, right on that. First of all, you don't need her in the movie because because she has no chemistry with Bond. When she's killed, I don't buy that Bond is getting revenge for her because you never see that relationship particularly spark in any way. So I actually wrote a solution to this problem. Oh, great. Um, I thought it would have been better if Paris Carver... W- was played by an actual former Bond girl. Yeah. Or not, not, you know, like that, not even that she was played by that. She literally was a former Bond girl. My first, the first thing that came to mind for me was Natalia. Yeah. Like imagine if Natalia and Bond had separated as, you know, they it usually happens with Bond girls in between films. And she marries Elliot Carver and they, and then Bond, we really do know that Bond has had a history with, with this girl because we saw it in Goldeneye. Um, and we actually feel it then when when she is abruptly killed. It actually does cause some shock and and it causes us to be upset as an audience because we have something invested in this character. 100%. We have nothing invested in Paris Carver. We have negative and, and like invested you said, in her. Matter of fact, it's yeah, it's kind of a boon for us when she gets killed because she was annoying as hell. So it, it doesn't really matter. I think a lot, like a lot of the newer Bonds or the, the Brazen era Bonds. They bank on our emotions as human beings too much, and they just expect. The, the, uh, '90s movies in general kind of have this problem, uh, where they where they kind of count. I, I think they just kind of count on '90s action movies, at least. They count on you as a human being to just care about anyone or anything, no matter what. Without, but I think it's a lazy escape for writers because they don't have to actually write scenes or dialogue that make you care about a character they instead just just expect you to like you're supposed to care about them because because we said so like because they're an important role but it just doesn't work and, and i will say by the way that is a big problem i have with the daniel craig movies which we'll get into but you you are expected to care about daniel craig and daniel craig's life a lot more in those movies than any other bond movies and i don't well but... i'm going to disagree i i think that they do a very good job of, of establishing the daniel craig uh, bond especially skyfall uh, with the Bond backstory, I, I actually really like that. Yeah. So, we'll so we'll talk that. about that. Tune I in guess next when week that, when that train gets in. Yeah, but but for this one, for where we are right now, uh, yeah, I, I I was actually kind of a, a matter of fact that that scene was very cool with the assassin, um, and Bond where Bond turns the tables on him and shocks him, and then he then he's I, that that line I I like never forgot where he says. 
I'm just a professional doing my job. And then Bond says, me too. And he shoots him cold-blooded. Like, excellent. That's like the first cold-blooded Brosnan moment in a Bond. Yeah. So. Um, we can talk about the, the villain plot now. Yes, let's do it. Elliot Carver, Carver I, Media Group. Yeah. He owns, uh, as he meant, as he says, radio, TV, newspapers, movies, books. He he owns it all. He he reaches a billion people with his, and he's launching his satellite news network. Um, and his bad guy plot in the film is essentially to start World War Three, or at least attempt to. Um, he's going to, he's partnered with a Chinese general. Um, whose name is I don't remember. I guess it doesn't really matter. Is it Zhao or is Zhao the one from tomorrow? From that's uh, die another day. That's die another day. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't think it was a big enough character to for us to know his name. But um, what he's going to do is he's going to blow up uh, the lead, the party leadership in China, so that this general ends up in charge in China. He, I guess, I got ahead of ourselves. He's 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 he steals a GPS transcoder. So mm-hmm. he can take a British ship and move it into Chinese waters with the British ship not realizing it's in Chinese waters. That makes the Chinese angry, and it makes the British angry, and they're approaching conflict. Then Carver is going to launch missiles at the Chinese and the British from a stealth ship so they don't know it's coming from Carver. They're thinking they're blowing each other up. Boom, 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 bombs start going off. Then Carver blows up Beijing in the leadership there, so his general is in charge. And so he both gets 100-year broadcasting rights in China because his guy is in charge there now, and he becomes a world hero because, I correct me if I'm wrong, he's going to negotiate the end to the fighting between the British and the Chinese. So he will be both an international hero and have broadcast rights in China. Did I kind of sum that up correctly? Um, I, I, didn't, I didn't get the whole national hero part from the movie but you could be right on that i i, I did i i kind of honed in on the exclusive media rights to china that was definitely the bigger part of the plan <laughs> i i thought this was a really stupid plot for a villain sean i like like nobody was gonna nobody was gonna like catch on at all that all the shit is going down and all the, and this guy is profiting a lot from it i guess they didn't really have internet watchdogs back then but like nobody was gonna notice. I don't know. It just seemed it seemed very low stakes. It's like, oh, I can sell up one million copies of my newspaper to China. Yeah, but at the same time, I would say it's well. First of all, I think it's an. I will admit it's an overcomplicated plan, right? Because he could have just blown up Beijing. Did right. not have that, to start that the all, war. That's all that he needed to do. Yeah, that was a little much. But again, we talked about yellow journalism. If his goal is to sell more newspapers and get more eyes on his media network, starting a conflict between the British and the Chinese is a good way to do it. Do I think he overdid it? Agreed. Um, as I write in my notes, uh, he they make a torpedo drill that not only cuts into the side of the ship, but actually can worm its way around the ship until it sinks, and then they steal a missile from the ship. Definitely an over-the-top plan that I'm 99% sure wouldn't work in reality. But I think the core bit of his plan, creating conflict to sell media, is a good plan. 
I just wouldn't have done it this way. Yeah, it, it just it seemed extremely complicated with uh, I don't know. I agree. With, with all the, with all the yeah all the moving pieces I guess going into it, but I mean it wasn't the worst. Not definitely not the worst plan I've ever heard from a villain. It was it was pretty much you only live twice. I thought it was uh, like with the you know with the the villain's plan there was to he's got the volcano. Why did I write you only live twice? That that was the one where they were stealing the oh, spacecraft yeah. out of orbit. Okay, that's right. Yeah, because because he because the the premise of that is the, the he's trying to stir a war between the USSR and the, and the USA. Um, in this one, he's you know, trying to stir a war between Britain and China. Uh, in the Spy Who Loved Me as well, with the the whole um, two sides played against each other. It's the it's the two sides playing against each other thing. But- the only twist now is that instead of it's a major world power. And Spectre is behind it. It's it's instead it's this media mogul that's Which, behind it. Which what a nineties idea. Yeah, it's that very is a 90s. very nineties thing. It is super nineties. This was a nineties ass nineties movie. This was like the the nineties Bond. Oh yeah, for sure. for sure. Personified. Um, I will say that the um, I want to talk about Elliot Carver for a second. mm Hmm. Uh, Jonathan Price portraying the role. Uh, what did you think of him as Elliot Carver and Elliot Carver as a character? He he certainly had the sinister Bond villain down. I thought he was a little one dimensional of a villain. I, like I I didn't think that there was no there was no depth to him. I he was just a he was a Bond villain. I I felt like he was. A lot like um, for for uh, for what I thought when I when I first watched the movie, I thought he was a lot like uh, um, Spy Who Loved Me's villain. No, I'm sorry, A View to a Kill's villain. I thought he was a lot like um, yes, Christopher Walken. Thank you, Christopher Walken. I. I had Steve Buscemi in my head, and I know it wasn't Steve oh, that'd Buscemi. Be a f- that'd be a fun Bond villain. <laughs> it would be a fun Bond villain. Yeah, but no, uh, uh, yeah, Christopher Walken. I, I, he seemed a lot like him, but with like without that, he had a vicious side to him, but he was a little more reserved. Maybe toward the end, he it, like it came out a little bit more. Yeah, I thought he was better later in the movie. Yeah, like I wanted to see him gun down an entire room full of his henchmen. In anger, like like um, like Walken's character did. Like well, I wanted to see like a like a really ruthless, vicious side to him. I mean that Christopher Walken's character may be the most twisted villain of Sanchez the series. Definitely. I would say Sanchez. Oh, from Sanchez. License okay. To Kill. Yeah, that's he fair. Twisted. Yeah. I would agree. Who do you think would win I mean, in a fight? Yeah. Oh, Sanchez. He has the, the he cuts a guy's heart out. Yeah, but Zorin is a is literally and, a genius. I mean, he could outsmart Sanchez. No, that's true. San- Sanchez is very paranoid and insecure. That's how. That's his downfall. Uh, but Zoran's too you're confident. Right. I think maybe, maybe in a maybe in a fight, um, Zoran would win hmm. because he would probably outsmart him and end up like probably. I think he would end up getting Sanchez to join him, and then he would like kill him in betrayal. That's where I see that going. We're we're radically off topic here. Um, yeah. No, I think I think Elliot Carver. 
I think he gets better later in the movie. Again, the issue I have with this is that I think the Elliot Carver character is so close to being good. Like, I don't think it would have taken much more to make it a really interesting villain. The issue I have is early in the film, A, he's a little bit whiny and bratty, which mm-hmm. he gets better as the movie goes on. But at first, he's like, why is this happening? Why is it, they also do this annoying thing where when they first introduce him to you in the movie, he's on like his video wall talking with his editors from around the world. And he like is so over the top where he's like, this will be the news here and this will. Be, and then there's that line where he says, um, you know, tell the tell the president that he better sign the decommissioned cable act or else I'll re- uh, uh, release that tape of him with the prostitute. And the guy goes, I'll have him sign it. And he goes, after he signs it, release the tape anyway. And I'm like, dude, whoa. OK, hang on. Slow down. This, <laughs> you don't need to be this over the top to prove you're a bad guy like we're preconditioned to know you're the bad guy. Like, I just thought they made some bad decisions around him. I thought Jonathan Price does a good job. Uh, I just think it was a slight miss that really bummed me out because I really, I love the general plot of this movie. I just feel like they were a little bit Terry Hatcher and how they portray Elliot. And I think there's just little bits and pieces that didn't work in this one. Yeah, sure. I There, there are some, there are some changes I, they could have made. This could have been, this could have been a really good one. Uh, a really good Bond film. Well, and that brings me to what I love most about this film and mm-hmm. why it is my favorite and why I can watch it over and over and over again. I think, and I would love to know your opinion on this, Matt, I think this film, end-to-end, wire-to-wire, has the best and most consistent stunt work of Ooh. any Bond film. I, I'm saying individual stunts in other films may be better, but I think... All of the stunts in this film are excellent. The The remote control car garage chase scene is awesome. The motorcycle chase through the streets and on the rooftops is awesome. Um, what else is in this for stunts? I'm trying to remember. Um, when they slide down the building, when they escape yes. from... Down with the banner. Headquarters. That was pretty cool. They do they do the, the halo jump out of the aircraft. That's right. really cool. Halo jump. Uh, what else? There's, There's more. Some, there are some really good stunts. Also, um, if you're talking about all characters, Wei Lin has the like karate scenes where she's fighting people with karate. Yeah, I think even I think. Oh, yeah. That whole scene where right after they separate and Bond comes in at the end after she beats everybody up. That's really great. The hand to hand stuff in this is really good. I think the stuff inside the stealth ship at the end, I think, is all really interesting and shot really well. I really, really liked the stunt work in this film. And to me, that's what kind of raises it up above. Yeah, I, I'm thinking Moonraker had some really good stunts, too. I, I agree. If I remember, that was a very stunt-heavy movie. But you're right. I mean, the, what, what they could do in this in this decade, I think they were only just starting to realize. I think they, they began with... Uh, they began with the camera work with Goldeneye. You had a lot of like like the hand to hand fight at the at the the final um, climactic scene in with the cradle in in Cuba. You had um, you had some other really good stunts in that movie, but I think this is where they they're they're trying to like hit their stride. They finally figured it like just kind of got it figured out with, well, uh, with this one. They're they're you're right. They, you bring up a. Uh, you bring up a point that I did not consider. There, there are some good stunts in Tomorrow Never Dies. I, I, there's not a bad stunt. That's what I like about this. There's not a boring stunt. They're all great. I think part of that's the director, uh, Roger Spottiswood, um, who 
co-wrote 48 Hours with Eddie Murphy, directed Sixth Day with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, he's done a, Under Fire, he directed, Shoot to Kill, Turner and Hooch. Um, he's directed a lot of kind of action stuff in this time, so I think that's partly where it comes from. It's just really well directed. Yeah. Um, something interesting that happens in this movie, Sean, yeah. that, that kind of went overlooked. Bond loses his iconic firearm. Yes. Uh, he exchanges his classic... Um, was it his uh, PP7? His his PPK, his Walther PPK. Oh, his Walther PPK for a PP7. For a P99. A P99. P99. Are you sure about that? That's what Wikipedia says. PP9. P9. Well, anyway, the the gun that he that he that he acquires in this movie is the one that he he will use basically for the the duration of the. The Bond films. The Brosnan films. The Brosnan Bond films. Yeah, that's – I mean the 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 Craig was a reboot, so I, it, it kind of restarts. But yep. yeah, yeah, the Brosnan Bond films. Interesting. So a little, little fun tidbit there. I do want to mention mm-hmm. uh, the theme song to this one uh, performed by uh, – there were 12 submissions for yeah. songs to this movie uh, from bands such as Pulp. And Mark Almond, I don't know who these people are. Uh, the the winning Go song, uh, the winning song was Cheryl Crow, um, who who performed this one. Um, Tomorrow never dies. The name of the song, Matt. Uh, I thought it was not great. No, this was this was a bad song. I, I don't know, but the thing I don't know if I'd call it bad. I think there were songs we'll talk about tonight. Yeah, um, but oh. it definitely wasn't good. This is not a good era of Bond songs. No, no, there's uh, there, this is, this is kind of a weak, uh, it's, it's, I think it's, it's a, maybe a period of time where just the music didn't really mesh with the bond feel the bond like vibe. And they were trying to reinvent, maybe reinvent the bond, what the bond feel was supposed to be well, at music, the same time. Music was changing at the time too. Music, right. I mean, music, music was, was changing. all over the map in the late nineties. Yeah. All over the place. The new millennium was happening. There are so many different genres and, you know. Yeah. So I don't know. It, uh, it certainly was not a good one. I didn't even really like the, the intro, to be honest, uh, the intro scene. However, I, I did. I really liked the pre-credit sequence. I thought it was a very underrated pre-credit sequence with the arms oh, dealer. The arms de- yeah, that was good. I agree Bond with you. He infiltrates the arms dealer camp in like Kazakhstan again, or something. good stunts, good explosions, good the stunts, stuff with the yeah. plane. I I did like that. I liked how he uh yeah, he 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 takes the plane and I like how they all presume him dead, but then the, he says something about like he's like well, uh, shall we shall we ask the president where he'd like the missile delivered? And like Yes. It reminded me of Connery in a way. He had that like smooth suave delivery that that connery would have would have given um like i could almost see i could see him in the cockpit of the plane like giving that same that same statement it was mm-hmm. good it was it was very good i agree good intro. um uh a couple of very short notes before we move on my kind of leftover notes here uh i still find it weird when bond quips to uh, himself when he's alone 
Like, it's fine when he quips when other people are there. It it still upsets me when he's talking to <laughs> nobody, but he still quips. It's yeah, it's uh, it, it's very um, it's very much like oh, is that like if if the camera wasn't on him, would that just be something he said in his head, like to himself, or is he just talking to himself? Because is he like cracking himself up? I don't I don't get yeah. it. It's very <laughs> weird to me. Um, I also love that they when uh, Paris Carver is killed um, in the hotel room, uh, they do that awesome movie gimmick where they pre-record the news saying the character has been killed. Mm-hmm. And so when Bond walks in, then it's playing on the TV, the news report that James Bond has been killed, which to me is insane because first of all, very overconfident of you to pre-shoot that. Number two, kind of hard to keep a secret. You're murdering a guy when the news is like, wait, what script am I reading? Who's James Bond? Why did he die? What's going? Wait, what do you mean That's... this murder is tomorrow and it hasn't happened yet? Yeah. Um, that is a weird one to me. Uh, and I just, I like when movies do that cause it's very silly. It's just another instance of like, how the hell do you like when, when people said on the news, like James Bond has been killed, their, their reaction should be who is James Bond? Not, Oh no, James, not James Bond. But I guess that's another instance of him being a terrible secret agent or just the universe, I guess. I guess he just doesn't give a shit. Being right, just at this point, sure. I mean, they've, there's been newspaper articles about him being dead. There's been people referencing his death, and he's supposed to be a secret agent, and nobody knows who he is. But worst kept secret. It, you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if if they had made another Brosnan movie. If he's out in like a city walking around, and every like, oh look, there's James Bond. Oh, let's get his picture. Like they all like swarm around him. And he, and he like loses the guy he's trailing or something because of it, because it's, it, it, it had become so, so That's, self-referential. At that, that would point. be a good, uh, like social media joke in a movie where it's like bond is big on Instagram. Yeah. He's got a fan club. <laughs> um, Matt, that was tomorrow never dies. That We've was. got to continue on. We're halfway through. We got another Bond movie here. 1999's The World is Not Enough, the 19th James Bond film. Pierce Brosnan is back, baby. Uh, and this one was released in November of 1999, uh, made $362 million at the box office. Um, a relatively successful film there. Matt, how do we feel about The World is Not Enough? Um... So going in, this was this was another one of my favorite Bond movies from my childhood. This is the one that I was old enough to remember. I didn't see it in theaters because I was definitely too young when it came out. But I was eight, uh, eight years old. But I, I do remember seeing it a, like a few years later. It was it was not the first Bond movie I saw, but it was it was the fir- probably the most recent one. The first Bond movie I remember seeing in theaters was definitely Die Another Day. Mm-hmm. Definitely remember seeing that in theaters. World is Not Enough was the like most recent Bond movie to that to the date before I started watching them in theaters and and like being old enough to get an appreciation. So this was still like an induct an introductory Bond for me. I really liked it then, and to me, I think it actually held up fairly well. I really liked this movie. Um, I liked the villain's plot. I like the um, the Bond girls. Uh, this is where we're going to run into. I think we're going to run into controversy because I think that um, 
James Bond and Christmas Jones have a lot of chemistry, a lot more chemistry than any other Brosnan matching in a Bond movie. Um, what is that? Who's the actress that plays her there? Oh, that'd be Denise Richards. Denise Richards. I thought didn't, a lot of people really criticize her. Oh, yeah. A lot, like a lot, Got a of, lot of jokes out of this one. I really don't think so. I thought she was fine. I, I don't know. Maybe it was because I was so young when I saw it. I, I, I thought she was fine. I thought Electric King was fantastic. She kind of stole the show in a lot of ways, but I think they were both fine. I, I, I liked this movie a lot. I have fond memories of this one. Uh, what did you think? Matt, we haven't played it yet tonight, so we're going to play a little game. What does Matt think Sean felt about this movie? What do you think I felt about oh, this movie? Sean, I already Don't let know that tip you one way or the other, movie. but I, I'm just curious. Sean probably thought that this movie was boring, that there was not enough going on, and that Denise Richards was a horrible actress in this movie, and she did a bad job. You were pretty accurate. accurate up to the last point. You thought Denise Richards did a good job? I think she did an, a good enough job. Okay. She was not bad. There have been far worse Bond girls but you than th her. But you thought that there wasn't, there wasn't enough going on in this Matt, movie. Matt, I wrote about nine, ten bullet and points, and mm -hmm. I think about seven or eight of them are negative. I use things, I wrote, my notes include the following terms. Very dumb. Um, a shame. Not even remotely interesting. Does nothing. Did you say a shame? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm just I'm just picking random words here. Don't care for. Um, you know, I, I generally... It wasn't a bad film, but I feel like this movie made a lot of weird choices and a lot of mistakes. And I agree with your overall point that this movie is too low stakes for a Bond movie. I'm generally not... A, it's... For me... For me, if you're going to do a low stakes Bond film... Um, I think uh, For Your Eyes Only is a good example. If you do it, you have to keep it interesting and high, and, and high stakes within the low stakes, if you know what I mean. This movie, the biggest mistake it makes in my eyes, and this is where we're definitely going to disagree, it relies too heavy on Elektra, who I did not care for. I uh. don't think the actress was good. I don't think she Ooh. sold the twist. I don't think she... she of all the Bond girls... Christmas Jones was more interesting than Electra King. She was boring in this movie. I write here, this is literally a direct quote from my notes. I do like the Electra is bad bit, but it's a shame they wasted it in this movie. Because I do like the idea of Bond falls in love with this girl, is protecting her, turns out she's bad the whole time. Love the idea. Don't love this actress in this role. I don't like I, the Sean, role. I completely disagree with you. I thought she did a phenomenal she job. She has no I personality. Thought I thought she was great. I thought she had a lot of personality. I thought she was she was uh, excellent as the very first Bond, uh, the very first female Bond villain, I will say. Um, in that... From Russia With Love, you had, what was her name? Ava? Yeah, I, I know. Yeah. Ava something? She was a Bond villain. I, what I meant is like the very first head lead Bond villain. Like, she... It's revealed that she is pulling the strings. Like, she's the one in charge. She's the one doing all the stuff. That's fair. She is the, the first time that ever happens. And I think she's awesome. I think she does a great job. No. I, you know I what was it totally is? sold by her acting. I thought it was different. It wasn't like there was no quirkiness or zaniness like you were used to with the, like, campy Bond films. It's very straightforward. This is a very – it's a very serious Bond film. Like it's l probably the least jokey um, 
of of the ones we've talked about. The Brosnan ones really didn't have a lot of jokes. Now I think I Die Another Day is very very quippy. serious. Yeah, but in in like a stupid way, like a like in a not funny, like in a kind of mildly annoying. annoying. Way. Oh, not mildly, yeah. a definitely annoying. Just way. straight up annoying, especially the way that the movie starts. But I I really like this movie. It, I, it, it's it's the first, it's the the last Bond movie right before the new millennium. Okay, made true. Nineteen ninety nine. True. Um, he he. It's the longest the longest pre title sequence of a Bond a Bond film. It racks in in just a, just a little bit over fifteen minutes, um, the that, whole chase scene and. But even the, that's like a such a taps. mild stunt. Where he where he jumps off the hot air balloon and onto the Millennium Dome, Millennium Dome, get it, Sean? Millennium. Yeah, I know. I got. I got that. But it's his, again, it's slows, It's in London, which isn't very exciting. On the Thames, not very exciting. It's just a boat chase. Like, there's barely any obstacles for him to go through, except when the boat slides across land, which is weird. I mean, it's fine, but all the stunts in this movie were in the when they're in the tunnel, uh, when they're in the pipe diffusing the bomb. It's like, eh, okay, sure. Like, it's not visually interesting to look at because they're just in a tube. Um, mm. I think the biggest issue I have with Electra is that when she goes from good to bad. Her character doesn't change at all. Like, like you don't sell to me that what I would have liked is when she's with Bond at the beginning of the movie, she's kind of like, oh, Bond, thank you. Oh, you're great, all this. And then when she becomes bad, she gets more serious and her personality changes and it doesn't. She's just flat the whole movie. Yeah. Um. I, I thought, I, I again, I, I completely disagree. Okay, I think that... That's fine. I think that she totally sells the the the, the twist. Um, I think that I think that the whole the whole kidnapping part is ingenious. Using the money as a as a weapon is genius. The lapel pin is a as a weapon. God, it's I, so it's convoluted. It's not. It's it's a little convoluted, but it's it's. You were just it's, giving crap to Elliot Carver's over, it's also overdone poignant. plan. It's also, it's not, yeah, but but the result, like her result is she's sabotaging the rival pipeline so that she can be the no, only one. The overarching plan is good, but then you're like, well, but then you have to steal a, a nuclear weapon, but you're only going to use half the nuclear fuel in the bomb in the pipeline, so they think all the bombs been used, but then you're keeping the other half, and then you somehow got a submarine that <laughs> yeah. but then but then you're not gonna blow up the submarine, you're just gonna put the nuclear rod in, which will melt it down. And it it's like I'm like, what the what? It is getting it it does get a little confusing. It it is a little convoluted, but it's a bond movie. Like I, I, I yeah, I don't I don't really know where they get the submarine from. That's true. Also Renard has a lot of access to Renard being the um, like Electra's basically Electra's partner in crime. We find yeah. out. Can we talk about Renard? Yeah, he's an interesting one too. He's got a lot of access to a lot of things that Weak. you wonder how he gets access to. I didn't really care for the actor, the the guy who played no who played Renard. Uh, Robert Carlyle, uh, mm -hmm. who wasn't great. Um, I would say the issue I had is that his whole gimmick was that he had been shot in the head. The bullet is still lodged in his brain, and it means he's impervious to pain. Yeah. He, which he never uses for anything interesting in the movie. Like, at one point, he picks up a hot rock. Ooh, okay, ooh, neat. Um, and he punches a table. 
Like, at no point do you see him, like, do something that causes a lot of pain in the act of stopping Bond or getting involved in the plot of the movie. Like, that had, that had nothing to do with the movie. No. No, absolutely So then why nothing. have it? Oh, it, drove me nuts. It, uh, it was, I think, what they were trying to do was, you know, in Bond villain fashion, the villain's got to have some kind of quirk, some kind of, like, uh, you know, but they don't always. I don't think that's fair because you look at Stamper in um, Tomorrow Never Dies, and he's just a big buff dude who works for Carver. Well, yeah, but but he's not. Yeah, there's, he's boring though, and and I like he's forgettable. They were trying to make him a memorable villain. But what I'm saying is the whole just... like I can't feel pain thing. They, yeah, they they the thing is that they never use that like at all. But wouldn't it, wouldn't it have been more interesting if Renard didn't have that? And you're like, oh, he's just a boring regular terrorist. And you're like, oh, wait, the much more interesting Electric King is actually behind it. And you're like, okay, that's okay. Then they could have, they probably could have taken that whole bit with the bullet in his head thing out and made him a little. I guess they were trying to. The only thing is, I, I was happy with keeping the bullet in the head thing. Just just do more with that. Oh, I like, agree. They like can have make a it scene part of where, the plot. Where yeah, where Bond tries to kill him. By, like, setting him on fire or something. Yeah, like, shoots him eight pain. times, but he still keeps coming. Right. But it, they, they ne- it never gets touched on, except for the part where he put, he put he's in bed with Elektra and he, like, punches the vase. And he's like, I don't feel that at all. And we just take his word for it. Or when he's holding the hot coal in his well, hand. Well, really, really like, the only feel- part of the plot you need that for is the end where someone has to stay on the soon-to-explode submarine and put the nuclear rod in, and because he's going to die anyway, he volunteers to do it. That's really the only way it plays into the plot. Yeah. Um, let's see, I've got more negative comments if you want to hear them. Yeah, I guess so. Let's, uh, let's, uh, let's hear it. Things don't even get remotely interesting until an hour and 20 minutes into the film. Mm, that's not true. That's yeah, the whole so boat true. scene, that whole not boat chase scene was very great. mildly, very mild. excellent, excellent scene. I wrote that boat the was direct, very good. Direct quote: "That boat chase is very dumb." Because <laughs> it was, it wasn't exciting. It was just two boats chasing each other. Yeah, but the boat was cool, and it was on the Thames River, right outside. Like that's the whole thing it, with Bond is like they go to all these exotic locations, but this one's like right in his backyard. That's what I'm it's boring. I will say it was. Sh- it was the last movie before the millennium. I thought it was shot well. England. But then, like the hot air balloon, like why? I, she's trying to escape in the hot air balloon. That's bunk. It was. And then he says, "I can protect you," and he goes, "Not from him." And she blows the thing up. That was cool. It was. You didn't not. think that was cool? I did not think that was cool. Um, I let's see what else is on here. Uh, don't care for the Bond's hurt arm runner. Um, the, throughout the whole movie, they keep referencing how Bond's shoulder hurts. Yeah, because he broke it. He hurt it on the Millennium Dome. I know, but what I'm saying is, again, why? Why are they putting these things in this movie? <laughs> it's bizarre to me, because I'm like, someone at some point was like, you know what would be great? If we keep <laughs> calling back how Bond is old and weak, people will really like that. <laughs> They don't it's it's like they don't really do enough with the things that they start like they started some good things. But why didn't they explore it more? Right. Like the injury with Bond. Like, where is that going? Where does that what path does that take? His his arm is injured. Okay, well, how does that limit him? We never see it really limit him except for the part where he winces every once in a while. Right. Yeah. Where does um yeah, where does the where does Renard as a villain go where he can't feel pain? 
where's the where's the path that that well, leads from there? Yeah, they never really they didn't really flesh out these ideas well. I'll and, give and, you that. And then pivot over to Denise Richards, Christmas Jones, who doesn't really do anything of value in the movie. Now she knows all the science, the nuclear the, science. But she doesn't use it. She barely uses it. <laughs> she uses it in, when they're in the sub in the, at the end. I feel like genuinely, if she weren't in the film, the plot would have ended the same. Because Bond just would have figured it out. Yes, smart, we've seen him defuse bombs before. Uh, yeah, but we we've Gold seen him do. It. Believe me, this he's been to outer space for God's sakes. <laughs> you know true. what do you need Christmas Jones for? Now I will say, Matt. And I'm going to agree with you. I think Denise Richards gets too much crap for this movie. I don't think she's bad in it. I think think the character lets her down a bit. I think they're far worse Bond girls. Good Night is way worse than Christmas Jones will ever be. (laughs) Um, And this joke of like, Denise Richards is stupid, but she's playing a nuclear physicist. And you're like, that's really unfair. Um, yeah. And I think mean. A, I think with a better written script, she could have really shined in this movie. I think I think the film let her down more than she let it down. Yeah, that's my hot take from this too. Since we're gonna we're definitely gonna disagree about Electra. I thought that actress was phenomenal, but yeah, at least we could agree on on uh, Denise Richards. I thought she was great in this movie. I don't. She wasn't like mind blowing, like amazing, but she definitely doesn't deserve the criticism no. that. A lot of people give her. Uh, there were, there were, there were, there have been way worse Bond villains or Bond. I'm sorry, Bond, Bond females than her. Um, I think that there was this problem. The problem where the movie really tried to be more than it than itself. Like it tried to be more Bond. Like it tried to. I felt like it tried to do a lot of callbacks, which is a problem I have. A bigger problem I have with Die Another Day. Uh, and all the a lot of the callbacks didn't work. Like it was like, oh, we got to have a ski scene because people really used to like when Bond would used to ski. Even that was a, and, such a boring stunt <laughs> because it's like they're just the the paraglider guys and their little things, and then they dispose of them in like two minutes. I'm not sure. I understand. And the, stop that watch. Why are you talking? <laughs> what was that? My watch is listening. Um, even that was like such a bland I stunt. That was Denise Richards. Yeah, it was. It, all right, so. I, I but I like the aftermath, right? When when they get into that giant like foam thing <laughs> and Electra's like freaking out. Like she's legitimately freaking out. You don't think she's selling it right there that like she's genuinely afraid of getting recaptured? That like there isn't some kind of like and and the beauty of it is that they that when they when the twist is first kind of revealed, they suspect it's Stockholm syndrome. Like they suspect that she spent so much time under duress in captivity that she snapped and is like doing carrying out Renard's bidding. But, but how perfect is it that she orchestrated all from the beginning? Awesome. Here, here's the thing, Matt, and this is, awesome I, go, I go back to my note. It's a good idea. They wasted it in this movie because first of all, that Stockholm syndrome, the, the, the first time the movie points, if you haven't already figured it out, the first time it blatantly points out to the viewer that she may be the bad guy is an hour and 20 minutes into the movie. You're, you're way more than halfway through this thing before they point it out, which I think is way too long to wait. And I will also say again, this, this, I just, as I was watching the movie, I'm like, I just don't get it. I don't understand it. Like they don't sell enough to me that Electra truly is crazy and out there enough 
to to pull off a plan like this. Yeah, she. You think she's a little too subdued? I, I again, this is a James Bond movie. Okay, I expect my villains to have some flair. And I not think, even toward the end though, like when she has him on the in the chair. I I thought she did that scene particularly well. I did note one of the few compliments I said in my notes. I thought the chair torture sequence was really good. I thought that mm-hmm. whole scene, I thought it was shot really good, acted, I did like that scene a lot, but I wanted more of that, because again, that's one of the last scenes in the movie. Like, you, you gotta give me more, when she's in the, at the first half of the movie, when she's like, good, and we don't know yet she's the bad guy, sell it more. Be more interesting. Be sexier with James Bond. Be more out there. <laughs> Even when she's gambling away the million dollars, which is mm-hmm. part of her plan, but we don't know that yet, right? We think she's just gambling it. She does it so boringly and nonchalantly. You're like, how am I supposed to get excited for this character? <laughs> I, I feel like know. I'm ranting a little bit at this point. Do but, you think Do you think this was a, a failure of the writing, though, a little bit? Uh, you or know, the actor? I just thought she was a good actress for the role. But <sighs> this is one of those because usually I feel pretty confident knowing which is which. I really don't know in this case if it's the acting or the writing. It might be a little bit of both, but. The the only issue is I don't this particular actress uh, Sophie uh, Marcao has she been in I'm looking now if she's been in other things I would know she doesn't look familiar to me um yeah no she's a I think a French actress she really hasn't been in yeah hasn't yeah. been in too many sort French of words. big films that we would have heard of but I, maybe maybe. Mm. Well, in all of this this uh, hubbub, we did forget uh, a a very sad bit of trivia oh, yes. surrounding this movie is that this was the last movie to star Desmond Llewellyn as uh, Q, as our beloved head of Q branch. Uh, he, he um, I guess the the arrangement was for this to be his last one. They do send him they they give him a send off and everything. Well, and they set up um, John Cleese, obviously. And they yeah they set up John Cleese to be his replacement, who Pierce Brosnan lovingly calls R. Um, but the actual the actor Desmond Lewin passed away. He died in a car accident in December of the same year of 1999. Um, what was your favorite Q moment through all the Bond movies? That's if you a, had to pick one one really good Q moment. What would it be? That's a you know Matt. That's a really good question. <laughs> I think, by the way, starred in 21 of 24 films uh, over yeah. over a span of 36 years. I would say he was the only consistent actor, right? Because they replaced M. They were replaced. They replaced Bond. everybody. I think he has Two to times. be the one who replaced Money Penny. He, he was the stor- only the only consistent one that was like holding them all together. I don't even think Albert Broccoli was involved in as many films as he was. No, um, no, he was, yeah, he was in all of them. I think. Way back since Dr. No. It's hard for me to say a favorite, but uh, one that does come to mind is I really enjoyed in License to Kill. Maybe I'm just remembering it because it was it was more recent. But that was, I think, the only time they really pull him out into the field um, and is used as part of Bond's plot. Um, they dress him up in, in, in little outfits and, and he's undercover and... He's he's kind of getting involved in some of the action, and I think that was it was a nice turn to see that um, after having him just seeing him in the lab over so many years. Um, I did enjoy that. What 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 comes to mind for you? Um, 
first thing that I always think of is, uh, well, obviously in Goldeneye, when he he's got the cast and he's like, oh, sorry about the leg, Q, skiing, and then he shoots like a missile out of it yeah. and goes hunting. That's that's a pretty cool Q scene. I also really like the one that's also from Goldeneye, uh, where Bond's like going through the the lat. I think it's Goldeneye, where he's looking through like all the gadgets and stuff, and he picks up a sandwich. And Q goes, don't touch that. That's my lunch. Like yes. he, thinks he looks at it like he thinks it's a neat gadget, but it's just a sandwich. That was kind of cool. From the older episodes, I think the um, obviously the little Nelly, um, right? The uh, the little helicopter yep. that he's got in uh, in You Only Live Twice. That was a cool moment. Uh, the Aston Martin with the ejector seat. I never joke about my work. 007 is a classic, classic line. Um, and finally, my what, probably one of my personal favorites is when he appears as that uh, that priest in For Your Eyes Only. Yeah, where Bond is climbing up the mountain and and he goes into the confessional and and Q is there. Oh, and one more, License to Kill. You know, your uncle is here. Your yep. uncle's here to see you, and he flips him over. But it's Q. Great, great. Uh, probably the best Q entrance in the in the franchise. So. Yeah, a lot of great, lot of great Q moments. Yeah, well, and and he leaves uh, this movie and the franchise with the with the interaction. You know, I've always tried to teach you two things: first, never let them see you bleed, and Bond says in the second, and he says, always have an escape plan. And, and he and he disappears out of view. Trap door. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty neat. Um, yeah, yeah. So then, uh, I what do you think of John Cleese as his replacement? Uh, R. I think you could do a lot worse. I mean, I, I, you know, mm -hmm. obviously it's. God, I can't imagine what it's like to replace such an iconic role, an actor in an iconic role like that. I think he does a pretty good job. I certainly think he's better than the guy in the later Daniel Craig movies. Um, that little oh, that little nerdy kid? guy, yeah. Yeah. He's awful. Didn't really care for him. Uh we'll we'll get there when oh, we, we talk will. about those movies, but I have some ideas of of a couple of people who who I think would have done a better job. Oh, hey, go for it. Um yeah, Benedict Cumberbatch. Was my like nah, my first. He's too go much to. of a leading man. Yeah, yeah. It, it, he was, he was a lot more. I think he was a lot less famous when Casino Royale was out. He wasn't doing as much stuff. I think he could have, he could have taken on that that role and been fine. Um, I could have. What was the the guy that played um the Hobbit? Or he played uh, oh um. He played he played Bilbo Baggins in the yeah, Hobbit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, shoot. Arthur Smith. No. Oh. Arthur Smith. It's definitely not Arthur Smith. Um, it's uh. Oh no, I'm gonna Google this. I'm really mad. I he don't. He was also in the British Office. That was where he got his start. He played Tim in the British, <sighs> oh, the UK boy. office. I'm very annoyed that I don't know the answer to this. Uh, I can see his is... face. I could. Uh, I'm gonna Freeman. Martin Freeman. Yes. More, more, Martin Freeman. Yeah. Who's who? Uh, who plays an agent in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Right, is very good at Agents that. The Shield, yeah, Agents of Shield. He would have been great. I thought he would have been a great Q. For, I think for Craig's Bond. Who I is? He would have done a fine job. Who is? I basically the, just picked the the you know Sherlock Holmes and and Watson, but who's the who's the guy who plays the gadgets guy in the Mission Impossible movies? The 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 latest Mission Impossible movies. I didn't see the latest Mission Impossible. Uh, not familiar. Uh, what's it? Simon Pegg? Oh, Simon Pegg would have been good. Or I would have okay. said like a Jermaine Clement 
would have been good. What about the guy from the IT crowd? crowd. I was thinking the same thing. Either Uh, of them would have been good. Any of those sort of stereotypical. Yeah. I think you, the the issue with the guy they have now is he's just not funny enough. You need, you need a little humor out of your tech guy. He's a little weird. Chris O'Dowd. Like a quirky, weird guy. Yeah. Chris O'Dowd. Yeah. You would have been, they would have been good. Yeah. Yeah, you need to have a little bit of humor. I don't think any of them will would play it quite like Desmond Lewin did, but um, John Cleese, I think he was a, he was a fine replacement. I agree. Uh, he, he the the thing I liked about him is he didn't he didn't try to be Q. He played it like it was a Monty Python sketch, and I think that was perfect. I think that was like exactly what the role needed. So it was great. I agree. Yeah, yeah, he did fine. Um. um Let's see. As we start that wrapping up, say, yeah, I, I, I got to talk about the theme. I always talk about the theme yeah, songs. Got to talk about the theme song. The uh, I again, one of my notes. I just wrote theme song by Garbage. Oh, I was, which I is was just about a, to make a joke about that. Oh, I mean, please Sean, don't, Sean. I thought that this theme was garbage. garbage. Yeah, I actually really liked the theme. The world's not enough performed garbage. by Garbage. I thought it was good. I thought it was it was pretty good. This is one of the ones that. Maybe not the ones that I would have downloaded to my iPod, although this is a little bit before the iPod era. But I thought it was a good, it was a fine theme song. At least it was, it would seem more Bondy than the previous two. True. I agree it's with that. Like, like a little more James Bond of a theme. I think the issue I had with it is that it didn't really have a hook. Mm-hmm. You know, all the, all the really good Bond theme songs I can think of have some sort of chorus that's really memorable. Goldfinger, you know, something you can point to and is stuck in your head. And for this, it just kind of all blends together. But I agree with you. It's a pretty good song. Um, yeah. I don't don't know why Garbage is performing it, but... Performed by Garbage. Yeah, I like the... Um... I did like the oil, like I mentioned before. I like the oil dripping, and the that was because it's a very it's a very theme in the movie. I thought it looked gross. The oil makes up the world. Like it was very poignant for the time, and it was very, very um, poignant for the movie for the themes that they explore in the movie as well. So I, I think like all of the uh, CGI openings of the Brosnan era are, in general, not great. I'll say mm. Goldeneye is probably the best in my opinion. But I think, especially like Die Another Day is terrible. And The World's Not Enough, I didn't really care for. I think they're just hard to watch. And I just think they're unpleasant to look at. I'm going to take a strong stance on this one. I don't think they're great. And maybe it's just because I really love the practical effects of the old ones. And actually, and you know what's fair? I think Casino Royale has a really good opening graphic. So I don't think it's just CGI that's the problem. I think these just, again, it's that era, and we will definitely talk about this in Die Another Day, where the CGI is just not good. And I just don't think it looks particularly great. Yeah, it was it was a work in progress for sure. Um, it, it was it was like a trial run. I thought. I mean, I to, see what they were doing, we but it was like. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Um the the title of this movie I usually go through in the beginning, but just a quick, and then we can we can move on. Um, the uh, the title of the movie is um, revealed in On Her Majesty's Secret Service to be Bond's family motto, The World Is Not Enough, or Orbis Non Sofficit. Oh, great line. Uh, it, it comes up on a, yeah, on a, um, like a, a crest, like a family crest. And he also re- he also references it as a family motto in the final scene with Elektra. Um, well, you know, man. Another nice little callback to this one is um, Elektra asks Bond if, if he knows what it's like to lose someone he loves, 
to which Bond like kind of shrugs it off and changes the subject. I thought it was an interesting callback to um, previous films, you know, with um, even though they didn't really earn it with 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 Paris, um, uh, Paris uh, uh, Carver, Carver. Thank you from the previous movie. And though they did earn it with, you know, Bond's first wife, um, Tracy well, from I thought, On Her Majesty's. I thought they were going to make a more blatant reference to Tracy. That's the thing is I thought I, I, I seemed mean, like a good place for it. It seemed like a good place to just be more direct. And they and it's not like they haven't referenced her in previous. Films. Oh, sure. It was just kind of weird. Yeah, they tried. It's like they it's again. It's like they tried to do something, but they didn't go far enough. And that that's pretty much the theme, I guess, with this one. So, um. This was this was Brosnan's number three, and a lot of we, we've said in the past that uh, the number three for Connery and the number three for Moore were kind of where he hits his stride, and and he kind of you think he's like at his most confident, you know. With for Connery, it was Thunderball. For for Moore, it was uh, it was Spy Who Loved Me. Do you yes. do you think that this is true of of Brosnan as well? Is has he hit his personal stride as Bond? That's a, you're on fire, Matt. That's a really good question. Um, I'm going to... I think when it comes to Pierce Brosnan, I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to say he might be the most consistent Bond. Because I think he's pretty good in all four of these movies. I think the different movies have different problems. I don't think Pierce Brosnan is ever the issue in any of these movies. I think the dude is solid. He's just, for me, just as good as Goldeneye as he is in Die Another Day. Yeah, I, I think he brings back a lot of the sophistication that really only, only to me, only Connery had. Like that suave, I mean, more more had it too, I guess. Connery and more, like, just the suave, smooth, like, I thought Dalton Dalton was a much more vengeful, like, violent bond like oh sure you wouldn't you wouldn't want to get in a fight with this bot like you could you would genuinely believe this guy could kill somebody mm-hmm. um you know lazenby was more of a romantic a, like a like a role yeah a romantic heartfelt bond bleeding heart bond i guess but and more was more jokey and jovial but i thought like like this is i think Brosnan and and Connery have more in common than any other Bonds do, in my opinion. I think that they just have that suaveness. It was almost like watching Connery's um, protege, yeah, on like like pr- portray an updated. Well, yeah, it's it's Bond. the Connery for a new millennium. Exactly, exactly. So I think that's that's kind of what Brosnan's legacy will be I with mean, this. I think in general, you will find it very hard to get me to say anything bad about Pierce Brosnan. I really yeah. have almost no complaints about his portrayal as Bond. Mm-hmm. I think he gets a little too quippy, but again, that's kind of more of a script problem than a Pierce Brosnan problem. Um, and that certainly is the case in our final Brosnan movie. He signs a four-picture deal. Here's his fourth, Die Another Day, released in November of 2002. Went on to make $435 million at the box office. Um, we're going to Korea this time, Matt, and who boy, this film is out there. Oh, yeah, th- this is the one that I'm going to have some hard, I'm going to have a hard time saying anything good about. This is, this is one of those movies where I don't think it's good or bad. I just think it's a movie like th- there's so <laughs> much going on and the plot holes are so gaping. My, my when, when when I was watching this, I was thinking, like, how did they come up with this idea? And my only guess is that 
early in the script process, they had a writer's room where they were pitching ideas and they put all these little note cards on the wall with potential ideas. Oh, uh, DNA, changing DNA, North Korea, uh, Space Beam, Ice Palace, and the Invisible Car. And they just had a hundred ideas. And then a guy ran in, guys, we need a script tomorrow. Just use all of them. Just like, throw like, them all in there. It was yeah. <laughs> so scattershot with what was going on. It was like every five minutes, something else was happening. It was so zany, but I don't know if that's good or bad. Yeah. You sound like you didn't like it. I I have to say I really did not like this. Uh, I liked it even le- – I, I didn't like it when I first – when I this was the first Bond movie I ever saw in theaters. And I don't – I remember not really particularly li- thinking much of it then. I don't think I really liked it now. Uh, the um, – there was there was a lot of weird choices here. Yes. And and a plot that was really confusing and really hard to follow and really just kind of made my head hurt with all the con- – talk about convoluted. You want to talk about a convoluted plot? Oh, out of control. Uh, this, there was a guy, the, a Korean North Korean general who I think wants to defect, but he has like a machine that can turn him into a different race. Colonel Moon. Kind of genetic surgery. Yeah. Go, goes to a, a clinic in – Cuba. But it could also he doesn't have to sleep and oh yeah and that and yeah. then the the plot I I have to start with this because it's been driving me nuts since I watched this. This is another Bond movie with a time jump because Bond is yep. uh, held by the North Koreans later exchanged for Zhao. Um, he is held the the on screen graphics is fourteen months later. Right, fourteen okay? months, not four months. Yeah, right, fourteen, 14 months. months. But I want you to remember that because in that time. In those 14 months, Colonel Moon has undergone DNA changing, so he now has a different look. He's faked a diamond mine and become fabulously wealthy and then given half that wealth to charity. He's managed to design, build, and launch the Icarus satellite. He's gotten knighted by the queen (laughs) in 14 months, Matt. It's it's insane it's, to me. It's like the I think the writers the writers set aside all these accomplishments for him, but they also knew it would be unrealistic to have Bond be in captivity for the amount of time years, that it would actually you know? take for this. <laughs> right, because then he would have to age, and he would also be really messed up in the head, which is a problem that I had in the movie. All right, he un, he endures fourteen months of torture. Yeah. And, 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 you know, there's this emotional exchange between him and M and M, M revokes his double O status because she doesn't think he's going to be able to cut it. She says like, you're out, you're on medical leave. And then after that, I expect you to basically pack up your things and leave mm-hmm. and just go. It's, it's like a heartbreaking scene. And then Bond escapes from the hospital because he goes into cardiac arrest because he's having all these nightmares. Yeah, he literally torture. stops his own heart. I have mm-hmm. to point that out. Yes. He stops out his own heart. He stops his own heart, so the nurses will rush in, so they get the the things off of him, so he can escape the hospital. And then he goes to Cuba. He goes to a hotel, checks himself into a hotel, uh, gets a shave and a haircut, and he's fine. He's fine, Sean. Fourteen years of torture meant nothing. And, he's just fine. And honestly, that's he's, such a he's missed. Back. He's it, Bond. It's such a missed opportunity because I will give a shout out. One of the things I actually liked that the Marvel Cinematic Universe did was they had this runner where Tony Stark has PTSD. From what happened to him, and it added an interesting element to that character you don't see in big budget films. And I would have loved for that to have been a runner in this movie of how does he come back from something like that? 
Right, because because after that, not only is it never brought up again, but the movie goes from a very dark place to a very irreverent place very quickly. You know, the, every, everyone's making jokes, and all of a sudden, it's more of a like a parody of Bond than an actual Bond movie. You got the laser satellite in there shooting at the ice palace. It's it's a mess. It's a mess. Um, the, it, it culminates in what is probably the most laughable cgi moment in the bond oh franchise when he when he surfs on the tsunami but the whole movie has bad air CGI. surfs on the tsunami that that's Terrible. the problem i have it's not that that wave is awful but there's a lot this is a really cgi heavy film for bond and it is almost none of it is good or watchable it's horrific yeah yeah, a matter of fact, even Pierce Brosnan acknowledged it was it was a terrible movie. It was his least favorite film of the franchise. Uh, he disliked all the gadgetry and the overblown effects. Uh, suggest even went as far as suggesting to producers to go back to Bond's roots and make it darker. Um, you know, ex- kind of exploring. He he thought that the torture scene was the way to go, but just explore that more. Um, and and. I think that uh, part of me wants to think that they they held on to that because of Casino Royale. It does explore Bond's roots, and it is much darker. It it, it just I, I guess there was the suggestion that that Brosnan gave, but like six years too late or five years too late. Um, so, uh, yeah, I wrote in my notes horrible tsunami surfing scene. Oh, oh all. But it's there were there were several really bad CGI moments. Can we? I know when I write in my notes something in all caps, it's an important piece of the movie, and I have written here in all caps, "Invisible Car," <laughs> because it's like at some point you have to, like, there's good gadgets, there's bad gadgets, and then there's laughable gadgets, and again, it's. I can't figure out if it's a brilliant idea or a stupid idea because it's some it genuinely I feel it's somewhere in between. I don't think it's a bad idea, but this movie is so not only does it have a lot of plot holes, it has a lot of sci-fi gimmicks. Like usually the tech within a Bond movie is unlikely, but I guess theoretically possible. But an invisible car is not a thing like no. space beam, not a thing like even giant ice palace, sort of not a thing. So it's all of this stuff where it's like, stop DNA changing. It's like, stop throwing all this weird (laughs) impossible stuff at me. It doesn't, it it feels like a movie out of reality, even more so than normal. It's like a movie that didn't know it was a bond movie, but simultaneously also was super aware. It was a bond movie. Like if they, if, if the only bond movie you've ever seen was a extremely campy Roger Moore, Bond movie, it's like if a if a computer saw that movie and wrote a script based on Octopussy, that would be what this movie would be like. But that's what's crazy about it is it oscillates so wildly because I agree there are for sure moments that are way over the top, but I also mm-hmm. think they're really good traditional Bond movie moments. I think the sword fight between oh, Bond yeah. and Gustav is really good. It's really well shot and it's exciting and it's tense. So- Interesting thing about that movie or that about that about that scene is that they filmed it. Apparently, they filmed it in um, not slow motion, but the actors were telegraphing their moves very clearly, yep. and they sped it up very uh, quickly. To make you couldn't it seem tell, like, and you couldn't tell. Right, that's how they did it. So they were like 
because neither of the neither of the stunt doubles I think were professionally trained in sword fighting. So they just like kind of telegraphed it, but then they sped it up to make it look like they knew what they were doing. So I thought I agree that was a very good scene the 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 fencing the sword fighting scene yeah and and I'll also say that when Colonel Moon is Gustav Graves I think that's a really the the actor Toby Stevens who's playing him as the white guy um I think is really a, a compelling character he plays insane really well in this i think and there's something about him where you're like whether or not you under you know you know the twist is that he's really colonel moon you're like there's something really wrong with this guy you know i i do like the performance of gustav a lot in this movie and i think in a better bond movie it could be really cool it's a shame it's wasted in this one uh because again good moments bad moments it's all over the map it is Matt madonna's in this movie Madonna, yeah, she is. Who actually, if you can believe it, she won a Razzie Award for Worst Supporting Actress in this movie. Which I'm gonna come out, I'm gonna come out and say, I mean, she wasn't great, but she wasn't that bad in the movie. She She only had like mostly forgettable. She only had three lines. Yeah, yeah, I don't even remember. Was she in the Ice Palace? Where? What scene was she? No, she was the fencing instructor right before the sword fight. Oh, right. Yes. Yep. She barely was in it. She barely and, was in she it. Did, she, did, she did get to sing the opening song. Ooh, yeah. We can talk about that. Uh, not great. No, no, not a good song. Not Sean. a good. Not even a good not Madonna a good, song. Not a good Madonna song. Not a good Bond song. Uh, not a good song. The, period. The best. The best thing I could say is that it. It really emphasized the torture that Bond was going through. Like, it, it would be nice if the movie had like kept up with that and used it at all. Because it would have, I think it really would have driven home, you know, Bond could be breaking psychologically and he could be really affected and impacted. This could be a a great moment to take Bond in a much darker direction. But no, it it just gets glossed over and is for nothing, basically. It's it's just so that he has a place to go while, while, while Moon is doing all this stuff, basically. Yeah, well... And, you know, speaking of the theme song, as I was watching it, I'm like, why is this like Madonna made good songs at one point? Why is this song so bad? And I thought, oh, shit, this was 2002 when culture was awful. Yeah. Like, 02 to 03 has the worst mix of movies, television, music. Matt, do you know what the number one song of the year was in 2002? I looked it up. Was it uh, Will You Be My Hero by Enrique Iglesias? No, I think that was. I just been remember a- that song being everywhere after 9 11. That, that was, was actually like the 22nd the 22nd most popular single of 2002. Okay. Here, here are some other songs in the top 20. My Sacrifice by Creed, <laughs> The Middle by Jimmy Eat World, Complicated by Avril Lavigne, Blurry by Puddle of Mud, In the End by Linkin Park, uh, the number one song of 2002, How You Remind Me by Nickelback. Matt, it was not a great time for culture. I actually was thinking, I was like, I wonder if it was something by Nickelback. And also, not, a great time not only was number 22 Hero by Enrique Iglesias, but number 25 was Hero by Chad Kroger from the Spider-Man soundtrack. And <laughs> the hero can save That's right, us. Spider-Man. The, yeah, uh, Toby, Toby Maguire's Spider-Man was yep. out around that time. Perfect. Yep. Well, anyway. What a time to be alive. Gross. Uh, that, that was, must have been around when the Xbox was coming out, like the original Xbox. 2002, 2003. What a... There was nothing good happening at that point. Culture just did not know where to go. 
Five no for Fighting way. Superman was number 46. Of course, it's yeah. It's not easy. <laughs> uh, anyway, I got to stop looking five, at this list. Five for Fighting should have done a Bond song. Yeah, actually. Because, you, you know, when a uh, hundred years, you know, and some of their other, what other Five for Fighting songs were there? Not many. Oh, The Riddle? Uh, the Riddle, yes. I think they actually would have been good. Coldplay should have done one. Coldplay would have done a, 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 a very sedate job at a, at a, at a Bond theme. Who else would have been? It would be all right. Hmm. It'd be fine. I got to think about that. Fun, uh, a really fun Easter egg that I spotted in this one, Sean, in this movie. Probably the, the best didn't wasn't definitely not enough to save the movie, but it was pretty cool. Uh, when he's in Cuba and he's talking with the guy that's the um, the the sleeper agent or the spa agent, um, they're in Cuba mm-hmm. and he picks up a book from the shelf. And what book does he picked up? He picked up Field Guide to the Birds of the West Indies by. James Bond. Oh, I, so I missed that. Oh, that's the book that Ian Fleming would always read. He kept by his nightstand, and he needed a he needed a name like a plain name for his character in his spy novels instead of like Jimmy. It was going to be like it's going to be something like Jimmy the Jimmy Spy or something. Or so uh, yeah, he finds it. James Bond is on the in, on the cover, puts him in the in the book. So it was a it was a nice callback. I'm surprised that they didn't do it in an earlier movie, but this was like the anniversary. Uh, this was what was it the fiftieth year anniversary or something? It I was the twentieth movie. It was, but it was like year wise. Um, well, it was o two, and the first one came out in sixty two, so it would have been the fortieth. The fortieth. So it was the fortieth year anniversary of Bond. So yep, that, Skyfall that was, was the fiftieth. Yeah, Skyfall was the fifth. So that was kind of like, I guess, a callback to... Uh, wow, it's it's crazy that a whole decade separates those two, huh? Die Another Day and Skyfall? Well, yeah. I mean, there's four years between this one and Casino Royale. And then they yep. do every two... Well, no, and then there's another four years between Solace and Skyfall. Mm-hmm. Um, Die Another Day... What else is there to say? Well, yeah. we can talk a little bit about the end of the movie. Um, Skybeam from Space... Uh, Gustav slash Colonel Moon is going to use it to, I guess, destroy all the landmines between North and South Korea. So North Korea can invade South Korea and can win the war. Uh, He kills his dad. Um, There's a big fight. Well, first they have to escape the ice palace with the invisible car. In a stunt sequence, I would describe as hard to watch. When they're driving through the ice palace and stuff's melting, it is so confusing as to what's going on. There's so many cuts. There's water everywhere. Um, I would argue that's hard to watch. Uh, they get on the plane. The plane somehow flies through the sky beam and still survives, which is very confusing to me. Um, again, very inconsistent movie. Uh, and eventually, uh, Gustav slash Colonel Moon gets sucked out of the plane and killed in the engine Air Force One style. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know if they were they trying to go with a like the Goldfinger when he gets sucked out of the window. Was that like a callback to that at all? I don't know. Not I, really, good question. I guess. I don't know. I guess some, somebody gets somebody falls out a window in um, the living daylights also. Yeah, I think. Well, like I said, Air Force so, One was was not far before this. Um, yeah, they, they might have just seen they might have just watched other Air movies. Force One. Yeah, and that's that about does it for uh, yeah. I've got 
got a few small notes. Um, why couldn't Zhao remove the diamonds from his face? I mean, does he just think it's cool to leave them there? I guess. It makes him very identifiable, though. I mean, it's like, a cool look. It, I'm not going to lie. It, is. it actually kind of did, for a bad guy look, you could do worse. Yeah, it worked. But he goes through all the trouble with the spa treatments and, and the surgery and stuff. Why not just get those taken out? But I can't think of a medical reason you couldn't This is where them. they could have done – they could have made up some bullshit about how they're like embedded in his veins and if they try to remove them, he bleed out or something. So, and we would have bought it. We would have been like, OK, we're not doctors. That sounds right. Whatever. But they don't even give a reason for it. So I guess he just thinks they look cool. Um, I also wrote, what does Icarus have to do with diamonds? I don't, I don't, I mean, I guess he had to get money somehow, but I feel like there's really like four bad guy plans he goes through in the span of this movie. First, he's illegally selling weapons to bond at the beginning, and then he's into, uh, uh, African diamond, blood diamonds, and then he's into space satellites and that like it just keeps going. It was a mess. Yeah, it was, it was a mess. That mat. goes back to your theory with the, the. Oh, White. they just threw everything at the wall. Yeah, it, um, it's a mess. I, I like the robot arm laser scene where the lasers were shooting everywhere and then one shoots through the back of the guy's head and out his mouth. I thought yeah, that was pretty that was, neat. That was pretty wild, yeah. Matt, I just realized we somehow have gone through this whole movie and haven't mentioned arguably the biggest star in the movie, even bigger than Pierce Brosnan. Oh, my, Halle Berry. How did we do that? We're very bad at our jobs. We were, we were almost going to end, this end it without not. even mentioning Halle Berry. She was everywhere in the early 2000s. Remember it, her? Now, interestingly enough, this is the first movie she did after winning the Oscar for Monsters Ball. Yes. Um, it was after X-Men, right before X2. She was arguably at the top of her career. Oh, undoubted. You this don't get bigger than Halle Catwoman. Berry. Uh, before. Okay, so she was definitely at the at the pit. She had just won the Oscar the, the year before. She could she have just done won anything. the Oscar for Monsters Ball. Yep, and and she was yeah, she was flying high, and then this it all was downhill from there. I think she started. She, I think she's good in this. No, she's definitely not the problem with this movie. I think not this, even close. But the script, I don't like, think, does her justice. She's fine. She's fine. Is part of the problem because she doesn't. She's not really given much of a personality. She just quips a lot. All right, she's she's eye candy, like we all and we all know it. But Everybody she's knows but it. she's a but she pulls it off. Yeah, like I've seen crap. She's fairly competent. Eye candy. Like she she does help. She contributes to the plot, not much, but she does help. But she's fine. She she gets the sword fight with the woman and kills her with the sword. Right. Yeah. That's fine. Like. Yeah. No, she does the action stuff well. Now, Matt, uh, interesting fun fact about her, and I don't know if you know this, Jinx was the character she played. Um, MGM was working on a spinoff film uh, yes, in 2004, I've read about this. and the idea was that they would do a whimper, Winter Olympics-style alternative where one year they would release a Jinx film and one year they'd release a Bond film and back and forth. Um, they'd also considered developing a spinoff based on Michelle Yeoh's Why Lynn character from Tomorrow Never Dies. Um, unfortunately, they pulled the plug on the project because um, they wanted to focus instead on Casino Royale um, and use several of the ideas from the spinoff in that movie. Matt, let me ask you, what do you think of the idea of either a Halle Berry Jinx-led spinoff or a Michelle Yeoh Wai Lin-led spinoff? Well, let me start with the Wai Lin 
spinoff because that I, I hadn't heard of that one before. Think about what that would do on an international market. Oh, these like, days, like today, but these days, a- if they had had the foresight, if they had just had the foresight, uh, I think that would be huge. I think that China would love this. Oh, they'd that. be a gazillionaire. I mean, back in oh mm-hmm. two, well, I guess they would have been considering it in ninety seven when Tomorrow Never Dies comes out. But the China cinema was not like it back then. What it no, is today? It wasn't. I mean, they would have yeah. been really ahead of the curve. They would have been. They and and there was no way to. I guess there was no way to to be smart about it. But I but, thought Michelle Yeoh was very good. I, I think there was a chemistry problem with Bond, but I think her alone, yeah, I thought she I'd was really her, good. I would watch her on a standalone. Yeah. I, would, I absolutely would. I don't know about Jinx. I don't know if there was enough, enough de- if the movie worked enough depth with that character uh, necessarily. But I thought that, um, I thought that, that Wei Lin at least, I would have, I would have seen, I probably would have seen the first couple of movies that came out of hers. Yeah. I will say about Holly Berry though, I think she could do a good series of spinoff movies. I think the issue, I agree this movie doesn't give her much of a personality. I think that's what a spinoff movie could do. The issue I have is I don't know. I think she would have to be a more quippy, funnier agent. I don't think she has to have her own, her own personality. This, the movie pretty much, I think just makes her eye candy, but I, but I don't think she could do a more serious agent. Like, I don't think she could do a born identity, uh, uh, Daniel Craig type bond. I think she does need to be some humor involved, more of a Pierce Brosnan like bond. Yeah. Spy agent to work. I think if that movie comes out, I think she's great in that. She's good. Have you ever actually seen Catwoman? I actually haven't. No, I've, I've never seen Catwoman. It is. is she. A trash movie, genuinely terrible, right in that era of like Daredevil and some of those really bad superhero movies, Elektra and those. She gives it her all. She's not bad in the movie. Like, and that proves to me, like, if she can be good in that piece of crap, I, there's no reason to think she couldn't do a spy movie. So I I think that's a shame because I would have really enjoyed watching that. She was in um, The Kingsman uh, as well. She's done action before. Yeah. Yeah, she was. You know, she can yeah. do stunt work. So I think I think that's a bummer that was a missed opportunity. I would have really enjoyed seeing that. Yeah, I think it's purely just the way that it was it was written the way that she was written into the film. Yep. Got to be um Yeah, I, it's a shame. This movie in general, it took a it took a wide turn from something that could have been really, really an interesting way to explore Bond's character. Like you said, with the PTSD, sim- the similar way that it, that it changes Iron Man in the Avengers movies. It could have, this is where it could have changed or affected Bond, but instead it gets, it gets simply brushed off as, as just, you know, well, it's just in a day's work and all we need is, you know, just a, haircut and a shave and bonds right back to normal he's right back to sorts but but that's this whole movie right is you just take it and you tweak it slightly and it's a million times better gustav graves is the same way right if you kill the dna changing i'm a korean backstory and you just make him an insane icelandic man who can't sleep that to me is really interesting i think he could be really good in that and he could he could have some kind of connection with the North Koreans, like trying to get nukes from them. Maybe maybe because Iceland is closer to the United States, and he reaches some kind sure. of deal where, and they they could like be, say, oh, we'll 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 
will sneak it through the Arctic Ocean or like through the glaciers of, of ice so that the, you know, the Americans won't be able to trace it. And all of a sudden these nukes will show up in Iceland. Like that is very interesting. That's a really interesting plot to a movie. Much more you plausible. You don't need all the other sci-fi crap. And no. much more plausible. It, it, yeah, that would have been really. Matter of fact, I'm going to go and and, uh, and write that movie right now. <laughs> it would be the great. The North Koreans are trying to ship missiles across the the Arctic uh, Circle. Well, and it, and Canada is there, but they don't want to get involved. America doesn't know about it. That would be a great movie. I, I there's so many. All you have to do is give Jinx five percent more personality, and it would have been a better. You know, give Madonna two less lines. I mean, I just think there are so many ways you can improve this movie. It's a yeah, mess. And then but the, you know, they're afraid that if the nuke goes off in the Arctic circle, it'll, it'll affect the polar ice cap. This totally sounds like a bond movie, but at the same time, Matt, I kind of liked it. Like, it's not a great movie. It's barely a good movie, but it's just crazy enough. And, interesting enough like this is the kind of bond movie i've only ever watched on cable and have seen little bits and pieces of because it's that kind of movie but it's i don't think it's bad i just think it has problems and it's oh, good I think enough it's bad. Uh, i think it's a bad movie i think it's here we go shittily written here we go matt now confusing we've talked for two hours on these four movies now's the time matt rank them these four pierce brosnan rank them all right I'm going off my personal favorite. That's I'm fine. Not That's going what we're off here the for. That, that I think are are the best. Uh, my personal favorite of the four that we talked about tonight uh, still remains Goldeneye. So Goldeneye is number one favorite. Uh, after that, I'm going to have to put World Is Not Enough. So Goldeneye, World Is Not Enough, Tomorrow Never Dies, Die Another Day. My order of favorites. Tomorrow Never Dies just wasn't as memorable as as the other ones. There's no iconic moments. Uh, to me, um, nothing really stands out. And I really didn't like the chemistry between, uh, Bond and, and, uh, Mei Lin. However, however, um, nothing pales in comparison to the train wreck that, that, uh, is die another day. So that gets last billing for sure. You're right. In to a certain extent, uh, world is not enough. Uh, it was good. I really liked it. And I thought that, that everybody did a phenomenal job on it, but there were, there was just too much downtime, a little bit too much downtime and the plot just didn't go far enough. So that's, that's how I have to rank it. Okay. We are going to radically disagree. I'm so excited. Uh, for me, there are two tiers, right? Goldeneye tomorrow never dies. Good. World is not enough. Die another day. Not good. So I'm going to rank it number one, Tomorrow Never Dies, because I think it's a slightly more complete film than Goldeneye, which is number two. They're close, though. I think they're both good movies. But I'm going to put Tomorrow first, then Goldeneye, then... You're really not gonna then die another day, then the no. world is not enough. Let's just we just shut this podcast off. But I'm also like, the guy who loved ridiculous. Moonraker. I love the zany, crazy, oh, out of this world James Bond stuff. Know. Nothing you, interesting you, happens in the world's not enough. I could have slept through that movie. I think we've been at it too long. I think your brain is starting to melt like like bonds under the Korean torture. Here, this you is, know, Matt, I will say that we've been I would argue pretty mild leading up to this point. I think we've temporarily lost. There you go. Are you back? I am back. Okay. I don't know what was going on there. 
What I will say, Matt, is I think up to this point, we've been relatively mild on some of these movies. And I'm going to warn the folks at home next week is going to be a no holds barred on fire cage match to the death over Daniel Craig. I have aggressive opinions about okay. Daniel Craig, and they are very different than yours. So Looking I'm kind of excited. It. And I've seen Casino Royale and Skyfall, have not seen Quantum Inspector. So okay. I think it will be very interesting. I super duper recommend people tune in for that next week. We're going to wrap up our big James Bond series. It'll be a lot of fun. As I mentioned, our website up for bait.tv is a place you can go and get all the other episodes. You can also check us out anywhere you get podcasts and the video version on YouTube. And of course you can reach out to us at up for debate TV or email us up for debate TV at gmail.com. If you think we're insane, please let us know. Um, we probably are, uh, Matt, any, any last thoughts on Pierce Brosnan or anything oh. we've talked about this evening? I forgot to mention that uh, fun fact in Die Another Day, uh, it's the last Bond film to use the gun barrel intro. And I didn't really know that yeah. until researching for the film. Uh, in all the Craig Bond films, they they they, they like circumvented in like cute and interesting ways, as we see we'll see in Casino Royale next next week. Um, but the last one to use the traditional gun barrel intro. Now, Matt, I will. I, we are way over time. I'm going to very ma- briefly mention this, but do you know what the lowest ranked Bond films on Rotten Tomatoes are? The lowest ranked Bond films. The, with the lowest Rotten Tomatoes score. I would have to say Die Another Day would be up there. It's, World so, the, World's Not Up is probably up there, but I don't care. I love it still. Very quickly, uh, the worst score is A View to a Kill, 36%. Mm-hmm. Then Octopussy. Not surprising. Then Man with the Golden Gun. Oh, yeah, that's right. I did. I do remember that got pretty bad reviews. And then three Pierce Brosnans in a row. The World is Not Enough. <laughs> 51%. Tomorrow Never Dies. 57%. Die Another Day. Which, by the way, Die Another Day doing better than World is Not Enough and Tomorrow Never Dies with 58%. Uh, and then to get to uh, the other Pierce Brosnan Golden Eye, you have to go 78%. So much better. Wow. I think that a lot of people remember the GoldenEye video game and look back on nostalgia with that. And and I I mean, not that I'm not saying it was a bad movie. I think it's still a really good movie. But I think that they give it a lot of credit because of that. We, we've got to figure out a way to play that on the show. Yeah. Um, something I was going to ask you during the show, but we, we just ran a little bit too long. And if you want to think about this and get back to me for next week. So I mentioned that Die Another Day was the last Bond film to use the gun barrel intro. And I wanted you, Sean Jennings, to invent your own gun barrel intro to a Bond movie. Like, pretend that you're Bond and you were you would, like, have a gun barrel intro. What would you do? And how would you well, do they, it? You, you, Think about that. For don't they all just spin time. and point a gun at the camera? Uh, they, they do it in different ways. So remember, like, uh, Lazenby switches it up when he, like, goes down on one knee and fires. Um... I already know the answer. Each one of them do like a slightly different variation. I already one know the them, answer. I Roger don't even have Moore to think about it. Yeah. Don't, don't even have to think about it. I know the answer. Do you want to know it? Yeah. Let's I would, hear it. I would dab. <laughs> I would dab. <laughs> Got to update it for the kids, Matt. So would you Would you shoot first and then dab or dab first and then shoot? No, I'd shoot first and I'd dab because I shot the guy. Uh, all right. Like, boom, yep. got him, sucker. You do, you do a, a floss. You'd start. <laughs> yes. Just start flossing and then shoot and then yep. floss some more yep do the little the little wave the the 
start doing the Carlton. Fortnite, I think the Fortnite dance. Yeah, yeah. Kids, kids are won't get. You know, we got to appeal to a younger demographic. That's right. That's right. Oh boy, Matt, it's we're out of flossing. control. We got we, we, we got to get out of James Bond. This is killing us. Um, yeah. We we got to shut it down here so the fine folks at home can finally turn off the show. Uh, <laughs> thanks everybody for joining us as always. Please do come back next week. I promise big fireworks for Daniel Craig. But until then, on behalf of Matt, I'm Sean. Appreciate you being here. We'll see you next time for another chapter of Up for Debate presents. This has been a Coffee and Beer production, executive produced by Matt Mariani and Sean Jennings. To learn more, visit coffeeandbeer.tv.